What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 85 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have brand new merchandise that's available now at TwoBlackNerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Symbiotes collection inspired by Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we're doing something a little bit different, y'all. We'll be ranking the villains from the live action spider-man movies in anticipation for the release of spider-man no way home later this week from green goblin to mysterio stay tuned to hear how the web slingers rogues gallery stacks up plus we'll be reviewing steven spielberg's adaptation of the 1957 stage musical west side story but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with a recap of kanye and drake's free larry hoover benefit concert which took place this last thursday at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. So you don't need me to tell you that Kanye West and Drake have had a tumultuous and controversial relationship over the past three years. They've gone Mm -hmm. back and forth. They've traded subliminals. They've done a lot of passive-aggressive stuff. They've basically done everything you can do except have a direct diss track at each other, which is something that we never really did get. We got a Mm -hmm. a a lot of subliminal stuff. But recently, the two have decided to come together and put their differences aside to do something for a bigger cause. At least that's what we were led to believe. And so they came together about a month ago. Jay Prince, um, founder of Rapper Lot Records and, you know, very much a powerful executive in the hip hop world and very close to Drake and Kanye at this point, sort of brokered a piece between the two artists and allowed them to come together to do this benefit concert for Larry Hoover, who was the co-founder of the Gangster Disciples um, gang in, from out of Chicago, who was imprisoned in 1973, I believe. He's currently serving six life sentences, um, you know, just a tremendous amount of time in prison. Obviously, he'll be there um, unless something drastic happens. He'll be there until after after his death or until his death, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, But they came together to put together this concert in Los Angeles as a way to benefit and bring awareness to incarceration and all these different subjects and issues. But also, you know, again, as as a way to bring the peace between these two artists who've just had a long history with each other and have gone through a lot. And so with all of that said, man. We both looked at this concert. We saw it on Amazon Prime. They streamed it live this past Thursday. What did you think about the showcase that we saw from these two? Man, uh, I so first and foremost, I couldn't help but to think in the back of my mind that Andre 3000 is the reason these two niggas came together. I know we thought it was like Jay Prince and this and that, but I feel like after the hurt of Andre 3000 and after finding out Life of the Party was like, again, a small, you know, Drake disc 
this thing going, I feel like, I don't know, they were like, damn, we can't let Andre three stacks down. <laughs> and then they kind of came together. But on to the benefit concert, man. I, everything, yay, was amazing for me. I mm-hmm. actually had a great time. Um, the beginning of the show was actually maybe my favorite part of the show before they even came out, actually. Like, the choir was just really killing it for me. Um, they brought out the choir on the 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 steps of the Coliseum um, in whatever formation they were supposed to be in. I don't know if it was a cross. I don't know if it was a... I don't know what was going on, but it was an interesting formation. And the choir just started singing covers. And, you know, it was a couple of yay songs in there, but covers and stuff. And they sang that damn Adele song. What's the name of the song? Easy... Uh, easy on me easy on me and i was like can we get this can we get a recording of this like inside of a studio because it sounded amazing like they were like actually uh uh killing again these these covers man i was like dang this 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 is i I always love hearing the choir they do some weird stuff sometimes with some dark ambiance video stuff i don't know what be going on sometimes but this this was like yes good job sunday service choir y'all killed it um and it was a good intro man of course yay and drake started coming out um, when ultralight beam was in the middle, right, was was ending, uh, and it felt like uh, I kind of agree with Drake. Drake kind of expressed the same sentiments, like something out of a dream that I never expected to see before, um, and it was happening. They were coming down the steps, and it's like, damn, Drake and Ye actually, for real, for real, quote unquote, made up, right? Like it's like this is this is real. This is actually happening, um, and of course, you know, we talked about them on the show numerous times. Them being two of my favorite artists uh uh ever you know um it was just a really great thing to see uh yay set is of course nostalgic he literally the same way um i went to i went to day in vegas and, and kendrick literally did section 80 to to damn um yay kind of did the same thing in terms of he went from uh, a college dropout to i don't even to i mean kind of to donda kind of to donda you know it was like a donda song in there but it, it really felt more like um um college dropout to to Jesus almost even um is, is is what I would say um and of course my beautiful dark Twist fantasy in there it was every, everything in between um and I really did enjoy Ye set that was interesting that it's always funny to hear Ye songs now when he's performing them because he doesn't cuss anymore or like he doesn't want to cuss anymore so sometimes you'll like hear him slip up and then like the next couple lines he'll like <laughs> stop cussing again it's really i think that's funny uh it's like something clearly he's actively working on <laughs> that he can't get together but the crowd always fills in the cuss words for him anyway so um i i think that's funny but uh, uh everybody i think is in agreement that drake's set just did not measure up to yay's drake did everything from certified lover boy which again we talked about on the show um and it has it has good songs, but there's a lot of disappointment on the on the album too, right? There's a lot of songs that just like eh, eh, and he actually performed a lot of those songs. I was like, that's the song you picked, that's the song you, and I, I just wish he came with the same energy as Yay, and maybe started with a, I don't know, a really popular so far gone song, and moved on to a lot of his take care stuff. He just didn't, you know, provide I think some of that same, um, a hundred. Uh, that, we, that 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 Ye kind of gave us in a lot of his hits. Um, but other than that, man, it was cool. It was a cool watch. Uh, I heard people that were there loved it. Um, I, I I like how it was just, uh, it wasn't too many theatrics. Again, that's how I like the choir stuff. It was literally them on a freaking moon rock thing, whatever was going on. I like all the, the attributions to, um, to uh, 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 who am I thinking of? 
Um, Larry Hoover? No, not Larry Hoover. Um, just passed. Oh, Virgil. Virgil, Virgil yeah, yes, yeah. brain fart. Uh, Virgil, man. And um, yeah, all of that, all of that stuff was really good. Um, but yeah, it was cool, man. It was cool to watch. I, I actually forgot about it, and then somebody was like, "Oh yeah, blah 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 is about to come on." I was like, "Oh, this is happening." And then I just turned it on and 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 kind of enjoyed it that way, man. But yeah, that's kind of how I felt. It was it was it was a decent watch, um, and it seemed cool. It seemed cool, man. I gotta say, this whole thing was a little bizarre, if you ask me, just because. Mm-hmm. This was, I didn't realize it while watching it, but in thinking about it, I was like, this is Kanye's like first real traditional concert in five years. He yeah. hasn't done like a proper concert since the Pablo tour when we know that at the end of that tour, you know, he canceled like the remaining few dates that were left and he went on his his diatribe about, you know, his support of mm-hmm. President Trump at the time. And that's where a lot of things took a big, big turn for, you know, how we perceive Kanye in the public. And ever since then, like ever since he switched over to the more religious and gospel-like music, he's done these musical showcases, he's done these album listening events, he's done the Sunday services, but he hasn't done an actual concert in forever, like Mm -hmm. again, since the Pablo rollout in in 2016. And so I didn't realize that because I was like, wow, it's been a long time since he's performed a lot of these songs and he hasn't performed a lot of them live since then. Mm. And so that was interesting because... In a way, him going back to all of that classic material that so many people love, it kind of disarmed me in the process because, listen, I, I, I've been very vocal about it and I continue to be vocal about it. Him as a person, I'm, I'm completely out on at this point. I don't fuck with anything that he has to say. All of the business ventures, the merch and every all of that stuff I could give a fuck less about and I don't pay attention to his you know, political stances or even just like the things that he talks about. Mm-hmm. The music is a different thing. The music is stuff that I'm still willing to give a try to, but obviously I haven't loved this music in a very long time. We talked about Donda earlier this year on the show. Um, But him going back to all of that classic material disarmed me, to be honest, because it's like, damn, that stuff is still so good, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, all of the stuff from college dropout and late registration and graduation and so on and so forth is still amazing music. So when you hear it, and on top of the fact that we haven't heard it in such a long time, it's like, oh my God. This man has given us some of the biggest hits in hip hop in the past 20 years, and mm-hmm. he's doing it alongside currently, you know, the biggest hip hop artist there is alive in Drake. Right. And so these two musical titans coming together is a momentous occasion. No doubt about it. It's it's a truly historic event, especially considering their history mm-hmm. with with everything that's happened over the past three years. The thing that honestly impressed me the most beyond the music from Kanye specifically was just the production of the entire experience. Mm-hmm. Like they they really went above and beyond with the production of this. Apparently the show's budget was north of $10 million. And I think you could tell by looking yeah. at it, they streamed it on Amazon Prime Video. And they also showed this whole experience, this concert in select IMAX theaters around the country. They had about three or four IMAX theaters here in New York that showed it. Um, it was also playing at the TCL Chinese Theater in LA, one of the most um, prestigious and historical movie theaters in the world. Mm-hmm. The set design was incredible. Um, you had that huge mound that was placed in center field at LA Memorial Coliseum, and it was elevated and really, you know, sort of put you sort of in the center of the experience if you were watching it at home. Um, and I heard that it also took like a crew of more than 200, you know, members to build. So they were mm. really putting wow. a lot of effort into this show. And again, you could tell the camera quality was amazing. For me, the stream never was interrupted and never lagged like everything was crystal yep. clear uh i just thought i was very very impressed by all of that stuff and i also heard about the merch that they had on sale they had uh, like hey, 
four hundred dollar jeans, what's going on? Two hundred dollar hoodies, one hundred dollar t shirts, like Yeah, it's ridiculous. And then and then it comes out, you know, that after the show that none of those merch sales actually went to these benefit organizations that we thought that they would, because it was I think people were under the impression, like, oh, if you spent four hundred dollar on a pair of free Hoover jeans, it was gonna benefit some sort of like charity organization. And turns out that that was not the case. The ticket sales may have, um, from from what we're hearing, but we don't we don't really know. Um, but with all of that out of the way, with the production out of the way, the you know to be able to focus on the music was a was a great thing. It was mm-hmm. good to hear Kanye play those songs, of course. Drake just made some really inconsistent and, and strange choices to mm-hmm. me. You know, the, him him coming out and focusing on certi- certified lover boy so heavily. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. I don't get it. I mean, he started with the cover of 24, Kanye West is 24, sort of in response to Kanye West doing Find Your Love. I thought mm-hmm. that those two things were cool. great. Mm-hmm. That was really cool, you know, to see them do that and sort of acknowledge and, and, and pay tribute to one another. And then he just goes on a tear and does nothing but CLB material. And I'm just like, hold on. Wait a second now. Like, yeah, your 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 segment of this show is, is truncated at best. Like, you had about 30 minutes because he is like, he's billed as the special guest, you know, yeah. so... It makes sense that his set is not as long as Kanye's. Mm-hmm. Kanye is like technically the headliner of this show. That was, I think that that was understood if you really mm-hmm. know how shows run. But right. for Drake to take the time that he did to perform, you know, the stuff that he did off of CLB, I'm just like, wait, what? And, and yeah. on, on top of that, some of the songs that he performed have subliminals at Kanye. Like when you <laughs> you perform No New Friends in the Industry. It's like, bro, you definitely took shots at him. I mean, they're, they're not confirmed, but yeah. the album came out in the midst of the battle between mm-hmm. these two, you know, they both they both put out albums within a week of each other. They were still not on great terms. Kanye did the weird shit of putting his address on Instagram, so they were yeah. still having their stuff. And so it's like, I don't get this. It's like, are y'all really friendly, or is this just like a hey, we're gonna put this beside us for this one night and do something for the greater good? Cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like that they're actually cool. They're they're hugged up. They're talking to each other. They're dapping each other up. They're performing each other's songs. Mm-hmm. It, it reads as if they're on much better terms. And right. I think that they probably are. But there's still just like some strange choices in the midst of all of this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the end of it, I had a great time. I'm not going to lie. It was a great yeah. experience to just like watch Kanye run through, run through those songs. Um, do you think that Drake, like, like before the show, do you think that he conceded and decided like or maybe even agree with Kanye? Like, I'm not going to play a greatest hits. Like, I'll focus on my new stuff. You do the greatest hits. Like, do you think nah. he conceded, or was this like a conscious <laughs> choice? Like, I'm just gonna strictly play was, new shit, and that's it. It was conscious, bro, because he even he even kind of you know verbally was like, "I haven't seen y'all in a long time," uh, blah blah blah, because there is no CLB tour yet, you know, like it hasn't it hasn't happened, and so this was his chance to kind of test out some of his songs, right? Like this was his his uh his pop up in a way where he was like, "Okay, does this song work? Does this song work?" And and yeah, I feel like he was really testing stuff and i think he got his answers right um at least a little bit in, in what worked but i think he just really wanted to perform his new music i think it was a conscious choice by drake to perform his new i really do because uh you know um i feel like there's no reason yay would be like no you can't perform i don't know over or you know what I mean? you know what I mean? a big drake song he's like no way you can't perform that i feel like he wouldn't do that right um so yeah it's it's all drake's doing for sure yeah people were definitely let down i think a lot of folks 
came into this thinking like, oh, it's going to be like versus almost like a versus, but not officially titled a versus Mm -hmm. either in the fact that we'll get two separate sets from both of them performing their greatest hits or they may go back and forth or they might just like do the entire concert like together in some Mm -hmm. instance. And that wasn't what happened. Um, It seemed like that that was what it was shaping up to be with Kanye just like running through all of his greatest hits. And then Drake gets on stage and just completely pivots and takes a whole nother (laughs) direction with it. Um, I, I, I heard reports that like apparently the audience that was there live, were extremely loud for Drake's set like they loved it because mm-hmm. it is that brand new music that hasn't really been performed live before but yeah. you you just got to know that there's so many more people watching the stream that would ever be there live mm-hmm. even if it was like 70,000 people there I'm sure there were millions maybe watching the stream and a lot of folks at home were just upset that Drake just didn't roll into that that old classic stuff the oldest song that he performed was God's Plan which was his last album three that years ago so it's not ridiculous yeah it's not even you know it's not even like classic status yet really mm-hmm. um but it you know it won't hurt his stature at all. He can he can afford to do something like this because as you mentioned, whenever he does announce a CLB tour, if he does, it's gonna still do bananas and sell you know so many tickets and all of that stuff. Um, and, and what I will say about Kanye too, like as much as I enjoyed seeing him just like return to form mm-hmm. and remind people of, of how great of a performer he is, he it, it's weird too because in in addition to what you said earlier about the cussing and like. The awkward, like, I'm going to cuss now, but then not cuss later. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. say, like, this, that, and the third. But, yeah, on t- like, you can just tell, like, he, he is getting older, so his energy isn't where it used to be. He mm, lost his breath mm-hmm. a few times. I definitely noticed that. Yeah. He's forgetting lyrics a lot. And oh, I yeah. I just wish that, like, if you're going to have a song ready to go for a live performance, know the lyrics, bro. Because, mm-hmm. like, he completely skipped all day. He, he, oh, he started yeah. it and then just skipped it because he didn't know like a single lyric <laughs> or he would yep. like jump verses a couple of times. Like he would start off like maybe the second verse of a song, but then in the middle of it, he's hopping to the third verse. Like on Gold Digger, he did that. He kind of mm-hmm. hopped around a little bit. So I'm just like, ah, you know, this could have been a little bit more finely tuned, but he's been that way for a while now, um, at least from what I've seen. I've seen him a few times live and I'm like, yeah, bro, you you should do a better job at rehearsing and knowing these lyrics, man. It's not... I want to hear, and Drake did too, though. I, w- I feel like Drake forgot God's plan. He either forgot or he thought that the audience was going to sing back to him more and than they, they actually did. <laughs> and they did not. Like, uh, he was really trying to do a call and response, and that audience was not really, at least from what I saw, mm-hmm. I could be wrong, wasn't there. But from what I saw, I'm like, the audience isn't really like singing back to you on this song. Um, so I don't know. It could have been a little bit more finely tuned in those respects. But overall, still a quality show. I mean, we might not ever see it again, mm. but the fact that we yeah. got it is kind of a cool thing, especially yeah. after you know them two dropping albums this year and all they beef and their history and stuff like that. Can you imagine a tour with them? They'd have to like, oh no, ha- <laughs> oh my god, they'd ha- actually have to like sell out football stadiums. Yeah, it would. It would be it'd a have to be stadium tour. Football stadiums every time. Yeah, yeah, it'd be insane. Just like L.A. Coliseum, they'd have to do nothing but football state. Like it would have to be like in the summer, mm-hmm. you know, when it's going to be warm for for most of the country, and do nothing but football. Because you you you'd sell that many tickets. I mean, obviously Drake is still you know at the top of the heap, and Kanye still has so much pull when it comes to like if 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 people know. They're going to go to a Kanye show. He's going to perform like the hits, the yeah. classic stuff. Mm-hmm. People will pay for that. Now, if he was just like going to completely go into a different direction, although I can't even, you know what? I can't even say that because those listening parties earlier this year mm-hmm. where it was mm-hmm. nothing but new material. A lot of people. A lot of people every single time yeah. in multiple cities, in Chicago, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. 
I was going to say, like, if he was just going to do the new stuff like Drake, they probably wouldn't show up. But that's not really true. I think yeah. just the name value alone still, still carries a lot of weight. So yeah. a tour would be ridiculous. But it was definitely a sight to behold. I know a lot of people definitely tuned in. And if you did, we want to hear your thoughts. Hit us up and let us know what you think about the Kanye West and Drake free Larry Hoover benefit concert. Let's go ahead and transition to talk about the Game Awards, which just went down this past week, as always. The Game Awards is, you know, becoming a much, much more popular event over these past few years than it has in the past it's getting a lot more eyeballs it's doing a lot more crossover mm-hmm. material with like other industries other entertainment industries whether it's music or film uh this year was no different and they actually did have a limited live audience present um in la this past thursday which was the same night as the Kanye west and drake concert so it was a lot going on on thursday mm-hmm. um but there were a lot of new announcements and a lot of new trailers that were dropped uh, some things that we expected some things we didn't expect and of course the obvious award winners that came with the show uh i'm gonna pass it over to you man i didn't get a chance to check out the whole stream i saw a little bit of it and I watched a lot of the announcements, but what did you think about what you saw out of any of the winners from the Game Awards or just the show as a whole? Yeah, so the the production of the Game Awards, um, it, it, it's been pretty uh, consistent in terms of, I think, the same quality. Uh, it, it looks fine. It looks good. The orchestra there is amazing. They always have a live orchestra playing game or songs from games. Um, and the... Uh, it's funny because like it seems like some of the people are getting just a little more swaggy like the people that pull up it's like nerds are getting cooler is it, if that makes sense <laughs> people are i think are, are understanding how to dress a little bit better but they still be struggling though in the grand scheme of things a little bit uh but it's 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 an interesting the game Awards is in a, is in an interesting place because the game industry is in an interesting place and i'm gonna tell you why it's because of um the 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 new trend to be um to have your own uh releases and trailers and and things like that because a playstation showcase exists because nintendo directs exists because of all this all these things that exist that i think the game awards suffers just a little bit from that Mm -hmm. um the same way that cons are or you know conventions and comic cons are suffering from um you know the things we talked about in the past too whether it's a uh, uh, disney plus investor day or you know all, all, all of those things too it's kind of the same way in the game industry and uh it, it it just made the game awards a little too i think born in a lot of the in-betweens um there were high points but sometimes you're just like okay but why else are we here um and i think it, it was three hours they could have definitely just cut up cut a whole hour just cut a whole hour of the show make it two hours and i think we would have been um a little bit better uh going into that but again overall it was cool man um a lot of a lot of things took the cake that i needed to take the cake um in in, in terms of wins here we have um best multiplayer game i've been singing his praises for literally the entire year is a game called it takes two it's literally a, it's a platformer where um two adults who are married are having issues in their relationship and they get shrunken down to these little dolls in uh uh it's, it's, it's literally like a co-op platformer where you have to go through and do different puzzles and fight different bosses while being small um throughout the world it's actually a really great game um and not only did it win best multiplayer game it won game of the year and it deserved mm. it it mm. deserved it. it 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 was the one that was different it was up against some giants, but I think that's why it won because the giants had been there before. It was up against um, a, a Metroid Dread and the Psychonauts Two and Resident Evil Village. All of these are again have established, well established um, um, gaming 
properties uh, that It Takes Two was up against. So it, it won um, as it should. Best narrative, really important, went to Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, which was really cool because uh, just as at some point superhero movies struggled in the in the movie world in the TV world in terms of awards and winning awards, the same was true for video games too. Uh, it was really it's really hard to make a good uh, just comic book game. I think, um, and and now I think a lot of people look at Guardians of the Galaxy and they don't think comic first. They still think movie first because that's just the way the MCU works. Um, and so it's a win for both. There's a win for both comic book movies and movie kind of games um so yeah I, I thought that was dope too um and uh death loop won a couple things if you don't know mm. death loop both of the characters that are featured in death loop are black it's a black man and a black woman both featured in this video game it's the hardest game to describe in a sentence of all time like if i was trying to tell you what death loop was i couldn't like you just have to play it <laughs> like as simple as that um you, you you just have to play it to get it but it won be both best art direction and just best direction which makes sense because again the narrative is trying to tell the way the game works it's just a really hard uh, uh thing to do right and they did and they did it right and so all of that was also um very much uh uh important in in, in rewarded um the the last uh thing i'll give a, uh, a a heads up to was um, the best ongoing game I believe it mm. is is what it was, um, and this is always interesting year to year. Uh, Apex Legends was on the list. Call of Duty Warzone was one of the nominees. Uh, Fortnite was uh, on the list. Genshin Impact, which is a huge game, all of a sudden maybe not all of a sudden maybe I was just not in the loop as much. Um, but the winner when ended up being Final Fantasy fourteen, which was uh, important for this. I mean. Think about how much Warzone still conquers the world in some different ways. Apex still has one of the best, I think, communities um, for an ongoing game that there is. Uh, uh, Fortnite, come on. I mean, how many kids, you know, still play Fortnite? All of them, probably. Um, and Genshin Impact, really. I mean, every every just either JRPG or anime lover <laughs> is like a lot of people know what Genshin Impact is and they're playing it. So for Final Fantasy to come through and take this W is huge here. I do remember earlier in the year. Um, the creator of, of Berserk Past, Berserk the anime, and I remember the, the Final Fantasy community lined up in the game and made like a video. The community did this. Final Fantasy didn't do this. The community did this. So I think that's another one of the things that had it win ongoing game is just the people that play it maybe are, are, are just different or it's a it's a clean community um, who makes decisions together. So I think that's that was really dope thing um, to call out for Final Fantasy to win there. But um, again, it, 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 it was it was a, it was an OK show If they cut the hour. We'll be fine. Um, yeah, cut the hour. We'll be fine. But overall, just I I predicted a lot of stuff and I thought it was was pretty dope. <laughs> so, yeah, cool. Cool. Yeah. words. I read a lot of reviews about the show and the production of it. And they, they, they said a lot of things of what you're saying. Just like it, it's just running too long, you know, three plus hours, honestly. And ridiculous. Uh, there, there, there was also a, a increasingly, I think, over the past few years, there's a big, big focus, even with all of these other digital events and these showcases and things that pop up. There's just such an increasing focus on new announcements and new trailers and new mm -hmm. things that are coming, which is cool because people obviously want to be surprised and see like new new projects that are on the horizon. But I was reading about how, you know, at different times there was so little attention focused on the actual awards presented and how mm -hmm. they just you know zipped through a good amount of them, you know, and yeah. didn't give them 
all that much time and 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 you know that that isn't exclusive to the game awards to be honest with you a lot of award shows at this point are just kind of dealing with that because award shows are just certainly nowhere near as important or revered as they used to be um mm-hmm. just because every everybody does everything on their own if you want to if you want to drop a new announcement or you know create some sort of surprise anticipation for a new project all of these different studios and creators and, and, and developers are doing that on their own time. You know, they're not relying on one massive event one night to, to get this stuff off. So I think they're in an interesting place to try to figure that out. I think uh, Jeff Keighley, you know, who produces the show, of course, and has been producing it. Um, he, he seems to be a little bit more cognizant and aware of like the, the criticism that comes his way. So I mm-hmm. think hopefully in the future they'll make some some efforts to try to do a little bit more work to try to get the show um, in a more balanced position. But speaking of those new announcements and trailers and things that we saw, we got a bunch of new things um, that, that came out of the Game Awards. I'm going to just run through them really quickly and we can talk about like what we're most excited about. So we got a new cinematic trailer for Star Wars Eclipse, a new game that's coming out. We also got the announcement that a Wonder Woman game is coming from Warner Brothers Games, which is going to be very interesting to see. Um, the Matrix Awakens was shown and announced as this, you know, uh, this new gaming experience Experience using the Unreal 5 engine. Um, it, it's available to watch or you can actually play it. There was also an announcement for the Lord of the Rings Gollum game, which had a cinematic trailer as well. Elden Ring, I saw one for the second year in a row, if I'm not mistaken, the most anticipated game of the year yeah. um, award. So mm-hmm. it's interesting a game can win that award back to back twice twice in a row. Uh, but that shows like how many people are anticipating it. We finally got some gameplay footage of Suicide Squad Killed Justice League, which we, we talked about on the show back at uh, DC Fandom. We did not see it, but they reserved that for the Game Awards. And then on the movie side, because you know a lot more gaming properties are transitioning to movies and television series, we got our first official trailer for Halo the series, which is going to be coming to Paramount Plus um, next year. And we also got our first trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is coming out next year as well, next April in 2022. So lots of new announcements, you know, a lot of things to... I think be excited about some things i'm kind of curious and questioning like mm-hmm. if that's going to be good or not um you know based on who's making it but some some definitely some exciting stuff overall what what are you like s- sort of like most keen on 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 these new announcements that, that rolled out at the game awards yeah man of course first and foremost i'm still very excited for suicide squad kill the justice league um like you said we finally seen gameplay it's over the shoulder third person which is different um and something i'm just still looking forward to i think it i think the time they're taking is good yes you know um and i'm finally it's like oh now we see gameplay after getting the trailer like two and a half years ago okay <laughs> if you say so right. uh no but it's 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 getting closer and i feel it i'm excited for that for sure wonder woman i think is going to be a sleeper Mainly because the Batman games, in case you don't know, are great. <laughs> they're so great. Re- they're really good games. Um, and I think throwing Wonder Woman uh, and allowing the team to shift just a little bit focus while keeping that same energy of making a good game, I think it, it they they have the potential to do something really good um, with the Wonder Woman game. There, I really do. Um, and other than that, man, I think. I think Elden Ring is going to be crazy. They showed the cinematic for Elden Ring, and it looked. Man, I don't even know what the world was. It was so different that I can't <laughs> yeah. even explain it to you. That's another thing. I'm like, yep, I don't know how to explain this, but it looks really, really good. The The scale is massive. Um, just as Skyrim, when it came out, broke the world. I think they're looking for Elden Ring to do that very same thing with this newer generation of gaming. I think they're going to attempt to break the world, and I think they're going to succeed because um, that's that's just what they do. Uh, they've They've... Uh, the Elder Scrolls team has constantly um, and continuously been um, at the forefront um, of, of, you know, fandom 
Uh, it's actually crazy that they won again, most anticipated game, because I remember a poll earlier in the week. I watched G4, and G4 was kind of going through their game awards kind of things too, and people were, you know, were polling, and they asked for their most um, anticipated game of the year, and the poll came through, and actually Breath of the Wild 2 won that poll. Hmm. So to, so to okay. see Elden Ring win at Game Awards, I was like, huh. Okay, that's not what I expected because I did expect, again, Breath of the Wild after seeing different pods, Breath of the Wild 2, um, to come out on top. But all of those games in that category are insane. I mean, God of War is in there. I'm, come on, God, those three alone, God of, uh, God of War, Elden Ring, and freaking Breath of the Wild 2 are – next year is going to be insane for gaming. Let's just put it <laughs> Let's just put it like that. Definitely. Um, yeah, and the Horizon uh, – the Horizon um, – uh, sequel as well, so it's it's really going down. But yeah, man. Uh, up, and then the last thing, I, the Sonic trailer, yes, <laughs> yeah, really good, really good trailer. I was very surprised, like, oh wow, they're, they're they they got it, they nailed this time yes. completely. No, they really did, man. Um, uh, one of the fun, the, the funniest thing to come out the whole trailer was everybody talking about Idris Elba and Knuckles. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he and Idris Elba was like, I'm not going to make this sound sexy or something knuckles sound sexy and everyone's like nah bro you failed and i think that's the funniest thing in the world um but it, it works though it works people didn't didn't know how it was going to work but it works um and i'm excited to see the movie uh, as a, again as a sonic fan period i i think it's going to be really good plus we get more jim carrey so <laughs> hey he looks great. so good as mr robotnik again like i'm like yes thank god he signed on to do a sequel and he'll be present because that sonic movie does look really fun um, I, I, I want to definitely shout out Star Wars Eclipse too because it was only a cinematic trailer for that oh, game. Oh yes, it was, it was cinematic as fuck. Um, <laughs> it, it, I'm like honestly, like yeah, I want to play the game, but I was like, can we have a TV show or a movie about this as yeah. well? Because like the visuals were just explosive. It was intense. The mm-hmm. music, the, just everything. I'm like what the hell and this is you know really i think leaning into the the high republic stuff that they've been pushing a lot lately and i'm just like wow um it looks like that there's going to be a lot of time spent a lot of investment on their part with with the high republic stuff but the star wars eclipse trailer just looks looks incredible um and i think it's being made by a different developer i know ea still has like distribution rights or something like that to the star wars games but i think Mm -hmm. this might be from a different developer so I'm, I'm i'm definitely looking forward to it and i want to say the lord of the rings Gollum game i'm i don't know about that one because uh, the, you know it, it, i think the, the idea is like leaning into the split personality of Gollum and mm-hmm. um you know being able to play a schmeagle as well but the character design was different than how we we're used to seeing him in the movies yeah. so i'm just kind of like i don't know and then halo the series for paramount plus like We've been waiting on like a live action Halo adaptation forever now mm-hmm. at this point. Like Peter Jackson was supposed to make a movie ages ago. So now mm-hmm. we're finally getting this TV series. I mean, it looks faithful to the games. I'm not going to lie about that. Like it looks like the money was spent to make this really, really match up with what we got in the games over the past, you know, almost 20 years at this point. But I'm, I'm a little cautious about it because I just don't I don't know. I, I, I'm just I'm curious as to how they're going to pull it off. So. We're gonna have to see, but um, lots of lots to look forward to. As you mentioned, I think next year is gonna be a huge, huge year for gaming. Like, there's mm-hmm. so many things coming out. Um, some stuff that got pushed back as well from like this year to next year. Um, whether it was due to the pandemic or just like other development issues, so I think next year is gonna be pretty loaded. So, a lot to look forward to. If you checked out the Game Awards, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it. Let's go ahead and transition and talk about a couple movies that we just saw. First up, we got to talk about Steven Spielberg's adaptation of the 1957 stage musical West Side. Story. Tonight, 
This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life, a home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm gonna think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend or foe? If you go with him, no one will ever forgive you. Now, this film is directed by Steven Spielberg, and it's written by Tony Kushner, and it's starring Ansel Elgort, Ariana DeBose, David Alvarez, Mike Face, Rita Moreno, and Rachel Zegler. Now, West Side Story is one of the most well-known films in Hollywood of all time, the original Mm -hmm. West Side Story, which came out in 1961. It won 10 Academy Awards that year, um, instantly solidifying its status as a Hollywood classic. And here we are, 60 years later, Steven Spielberg, one of the most famous and greatest directors of all time, has decided to make another adaptation of this very famous musical, this extremely famous movie from the 60s. And I remember looking at the marketing for this movie and thinking, oh, do we really want to go down this road again? Like, West Side (laughs) Story is, um, that's a tough one, man. You know, that's a big, big shadow. And I remember seeing the trailers and not being all that impressed with it. And I'm like, I don't know about this one, Um, but we're going to see. We're going to see how it works out. And this year's kind of been somewhat iffy for musicals. It's been good in some respects with like In the Heights or Tick, Tick, Boom. But then you also had like Dear Evan Hansen, which, you know, I did not see, but it got panned by critics (laughs) and fans alike. So it's been a weird year. And West Side Story, again, is um, it's kind of in a conversation of its own. But with that said, I don't mind starting with this particular conversation. I just got to start off and say that West Side Story has instantly become one of my favorite movies of this year, if not my most favorite movie of Mm -hmm. 2021. And it may be in my mind at this point. I have to really think about it. But I think it may be the best movie of this year, which is saying quite a lot because there has been some good movies this year. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot of disappointments, but we're getting into the territory where we're really starting to see like a lot of the quality films that we've been waiting on come out. And... 
after seeing this movie, I'm just thinking, and I'm left thinking, is there anything that Steven Spielberg cannot do at this point? Because mm. mm-hmm. this is his first musical ever. He's never done this before. At the most, he had an opening musical number in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom back in 1984. That's mm. the only mm-hmm. time he's mm-hmm. done any sort of musical material. And here, he's taking a full-blown musical, one of the most well-known musicals ever, and he's just showing his ass the entire time. Like, he is going <laughs> completely crazy in this movie, and I think that West Side Story is this rare achievement to attempt something that's this audacious and almost intimidating and then pulling it off in almost every way imaginable. And I don't really know why I ever doubted Steven Spielberg of all people. Mm -hmm. But again, I was just hesitant coming into this, but he absolutely shattered all of my expectations. And I think that it improves on the original 1961 film in pretty much every way possible in my mind. And it doesn't, you know, even from the filmmaking style, like the look of it, it doesn't adhere to this Broadway to screen transfer that the 1961 film had. That -hmm. that film was very much staged as if it was like a Broadway play. Mm -hmm. And instead, this movie feels like a fully three-dimensional immersive experience you're weaving in and out of environments and neighborhoods and the different sets that were built and the musical numbers it actually felt lived in this world felt lived in that they were recreating new york in the 1950s and it just reminded me that nobody in the world moves the camera like steven spielberg Mm -hmm. just the, the stuff that he was doing whether it was the whip pans or the overhead shots or even his use of lighting and composition and shadows mm-hmm. and, and and reflections was just extraordinary i'm looking at it like oh my goodness i haven't seen him really move the camera like this in a long time but this is just another reminder as to how keen and how good his eye is in in terms of capturing really really iconic shots yeah and even the production design it helps illustrate that living and breathing urban decay that's happening in the 1950s in Manhattan when there was a huge amount of displacement happening, which is what you know West Side Story is about, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And everything they did with the production design and the cinematography helped bring that alive. And what I also really loved about this movie is how grittier and edgier it is than the one that we got in 1961. Mm-hmm. Because that 1961, even with the musical numbers, has a real balletic dance style to it, mm-hmm. which, which of course is you know faithful to what the musical was. But this one presents like a real sense of danger. And I think a lot of that was helped out with the casting as well with like the people that they filled in with these roles. And it also it 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 really it really goes straight forward. It's not it's not an abstract sort of interpretation of like racism or economic disparity or misogyny. Like it actually mm-hmm. tackles these things head on where I feel like the you know, the the original movie sort of swerves past that stuff because I just don't think as, as a society we were ready to have those conversations, mm-hmm. but it was really tackling those things head on. And another way that I think it improves is, you know, on, on the on the first film is that even some of the musical numbers are just like blown up and made even more bombastic and they're bigger. You know, the America yeah. dance sequence, which they filmed in Harlem a couple of years ago or a G officer Krupp key like those specific dance numbers were just blown up from what we saw in the original film they were good in the original and of course like what rita moreno did with america in that original and the purple dress made her an icon in hollywood Mm -hmm. but even here ariana debose is like absolutely shattering Mm -hmm. all expectations and delivering just an incredible incredible performance and uh rachel zegler as well like rachel zegler and ariana debose in this movie to me, like watching them, it reminded mm-hmm. me of LeBron and Kyrie putting up mm-hmm. 41 points. You know that meme that yep. everybody always uses? It was That's him. what that reminded me of. Like, <laughs> these two are fucking bona fide movie stars. And yep. Rachel Zegler, 
got Fresh. casted in this movie out of high school. Yep. She was in high school and answered an open casting call on Twitter of all places. They received 35,000 audition tapes and she was 17 years old when Steven Spielberg discovered her and, and asked her to be a part of this cast. And she's just now 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And Ariana DeBose has been on Broadway. She was in Hamilton. She's the she's yep. the bullet. So she has a history, but she just comes in here and just owns the movie and owns every scene that she's in. Um, and the last thing that I'll say before you know, I pass it over to you, the one big thing that I also think improves on the original movie in this movie is that main love story between the characters of Tony and Maria. Mm-hmm. That original film... The chemistry was just not ever there. And that's something that's been stated by critics and fans and even some of the actors in that movie alike that, you know, all the other elements of, of the original West Side Story are good, but that love story just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, here, the chemistry is there. Rachel Zegler and Ansel Elgort totally worked. I totally bought it, mostly because of Rachel Zegler and how much just heart and, and, and love and intimacy she brought to it. But... I mean, just astounding. Just a really phenomenal film. I know musicals aren't for everybody, but damn, this this did it for me in all respects. I really, really had a lot of fun with this film. Oh, boy, oh, boy. This is, we about to hear a lot of this film come in here um, in, in, in this foreseeable award season. This is, uh, I'm trying to think of the last Steven Spielberg picture where I was just like, God damn! <laughs> uh, I, I I really I'm I'm not sure, but we're here um, at at this amazing West Side Story movie. Man, I was skeptical at first, mainly because um, the, you know the things we talk about. How I always say a remake should be a you know a reason for technology. And at the at the brim of this, when I first hear about this, I'm like, okay, but. Does a musical need a, a technological restoration, you know? Um, and Steven Spielberg proved to me that it's so much more than that um, mm-hmm. here in this iteration specifically because there are so many missing pieces that it, it feels like is missing from, um, again, after watching this, the, the 1961 uh, a, a, you know, original that we've seen, you know, you kind of mentioned how it was in a Broadway style. Um, and here we are in a, a cinematic experience of just, I have just greatness, right? Uh, you know, per- perfection has never really been a relevant standard for musicals. Like that hasn't really been a thing. The genre has always been like, uh, kind of a mashup of like ambition and certain styles over here and a lot of good energy and people love them, right? But it's never been just this level, I think, of cinematic artistry that it, you know, that has been tapped into. The potential has never been tapped into. And I feel like Steven Spielberg broke something just now. Like, I feel like he broke a threshold that didn't exist before. He broke, you know, he broke a boundary that's like, damn. Maybe we need to redo a couple more of these uh, <laughs> uh, because it's just things were happening that I just didn't expect uh, off the top of my head to be happening. Um, you spoke the way he moves the camera, man. Some of the the things he was he was doing. I think my favorite part of the movie. It might be the gym, bro. The gym is insane. Oh, my gosh. To me. Oh, the gym was, and it it wasn't a short scene either. We were in that bitch for like twenty five minutes. Is what it felt yeah. like, and it was just so well done. He put us into the world of these people dancing in the gym, the Jets versus the Sharks, and the 
Oh my God, it was just so well. Done. I had this first. Uh, oh well, not first, but also shout out to Justin Peck, the choreographer in this film. Yes, yes. who just got it. He just gets it. Like he knew. He. I don't know. He just gets it. Like he knew that the 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 Jets being as, um um. I guess white, <laughs> as white as they are, he knew they just needed us a little less flavor in the moves <laughs> than you know our uh, you know the Puerto Rican sharks did. You know what I mean? Like he just knew, and he did that with the choreography. He he translated um, uh, actual cultural differences through the through the you know through movement, and it, right. it, it 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 worked and it made sense and it was dazzling and it was exciting and in every part of that was uh it wasn't only color and color grading but it was color in in dance it was color in movement it was color in the way people looked at each other um which i gotta also shout out to all the um the extras in the movie if you can call them that because people just be in the background killing it like dancing their ass mm-hmm. off it's like damn you're an extra but you're not like you're definitely a whole star back there don't worry we'll we'll find you someday too young man or young woman <laughs> but it, it 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 was just really uh a, a sight to see man one of the, i got to talk about ariana debose bro this is first of all she does something to my spirit uh she is different talk about it (laughs) i mean a quadruple threat to be honest quadruple where's the tony where's the all of it dance act he got now he got this woman now she doesn't need anything else don't worry (laughs) this movie did it all for just give her the he got and and walk off bro i mean what a performance from this woman here bro like i kept every time she was on screen i i'm not sure i blinked because <laughs> i didn't want to miss anything that she did i mean she had the singing the acting the the way i don't know i can your can your dialect get better i don't know i don't know what's happening it's like damn there's some good spanish that she's speaking it's i just i don't know what was happening it was just a really great uh uh you know portray you just can tell she studied but also, you can also tell there was so much of herself, uh, I think, uh, embodied in her character um, that that she allowed to put um, 100% of herself in this role, man. And Rachel, young Rachel Ziegler, our, our future Snow White. I'm excited for Snow White now. I wasn't sure before. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure before. I was like, damn, I ain't never seen this girl in nothing. But now, Snow White needs to come out right now. I'm ready to watch this movie. She is an amazing young talented actress singer i mean i'm curious even the the like the vocal training they were doing for this film because the there's so much concentration uh in in vocals in in this film um that you kind of have to kill it like no matter what like you got to kill it because these people are singing singing like ain't no real voiceovers here ain't no it's like no the microphone's on and you acting at the same time so you better kill it and and she brought it bro she really did hurry ariana like you said are the Kyrie and lebron of this film uh another thing i love about this film you kind of spoke to it too just how even they managed to make it even darker than it already was Mm -hmm. west side story has never been a happy story ever Ever, just as it's based off Romeo and Juliet, we all know it's like sad ass, not a happy <laughs> story that is happening. Um, and here we are, and Steven Spielberg manages 
to pull in that darkness of um you know being in what post world war ii 1950s and still somehow related to 2021 politics what like what like how did the hell did you do that but i don't know but it worked because i was like yep that's fucked up and that still happens today Yep, mm-hmm. that's fucked up, and that still happens today. I kept it kept happening um, throughout the film as I was watching it, um, and it, it was just so 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 well done, man. So Steven Spielberg knocked it out of the park. I I, I can't sing his praises enough, man. Um, I I thought that um, what's his name? I thought that uh, Ansel Elgort he was just fine for me, like he was just okay, and I think that might just be me, <laughs> like he's just an okay actor for me already like i love i loved him in baby driver you know don't get me wrong but maybe west side story just not what i expected to see him in um but he did good you know he was fine like i didn't hate him but i i didn't like ariana the most love him kind of type thing um and, and that's okay i think that's the role uh uh that he served in this movie but overall man i'm it sounds weird saying that you're like proud of this very established director <laughs> but it's like I still feel like feel a need to say I'm proud of Steven Spielberg because this is different for him. Um and we we know uh you know this this dude doesn't always touch um uh just racial movies either. Like and when, but when he does, it's surprisingly, you know, he's like damn, Steven Spielberg did that. Um and so here we are again uh in a success that is West Side Story, man. I enjoyed it and I I need more people to go see this movie cuz I don't know a lot of people that's seen it. Um so yeah. Yeah, no, it's not it's not doing that well unfortunately. It's just, you know, people are just not back in theaters. It's not on streaming at this point, so the numbers mm-hmm. aren't there. But a, a few things I do want to point out really quickly here before we move on. Uh first of all, I mean, you talked about needing to be proud of Steven Spielberg for literally one of if not like the greatest of all time um but there is like an authenticity to this film that is mm-hmm. extremely important one thing that people should know if you haven't seen this film going into it is that there's a lot of spanish dialogue and mm-hmm. there are not subtitles at all for that spanish dialogue and that's actually an intentional choice and the reason for that choice was because the filmmakers particularly steven spielberg did not want to give any more weight to the english spoken language yes. over the spanish spoken language when one spanish is the you know second most common language in this country and then on on top of that, like yes. when you have a when you have a story that is about both Puerto Ricans and Americans, you don't want to provide any more weight to one language over the other. You don't want to prioritize one over the other. And you, listen, if you if you have any sense, if you just pay attention to the movie, there's enough context clues to where you're not going to be completely lost. Will you miss some inside jokes if you don't know Spanish? Will you miss like certain slang and lingo? Yes, perhaps. But you'll understand the nature of the story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the character might translate exactly what they said or something similar to what they said with the with the you know subsequent English line. So I think it was an incredible choice. I love what they did there with that. Um, also, 50 of these cast members in this film have never been in a movie before. Brand new talent, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. A lot of them are quote-unquote extras, but they're so integral to the story because yeah. this is a story about obviously two lovers but you know the 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 larger higher you know sort of look at it is about these two warring factions the jecks and the sharks and 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 what they mean to new york city and they more broadly tackled the topic of immigration as opposed to like colonialism which was more Mm -hmm. of the focus in the originals and i just like that they went more towards the immigrant story and what that means for like puerto ricans in new york and how they migrated to the city and just the the displacement that they were dealing with um also tony kushner on the script incredible i yes. loved all the changes that he made to the script just 
really good stuff again to be intentional with the language that's used and to also allow the true native you know spanish to be spoken here was mm-hmm. was just a great choice rita moreno who is yes. the one like true explicit tie between these movies her character is a new character um she's playing the widow of doc who was the store owner in the in the first film mm-hmm. and so she's playing the widow of that character so she's creating this link between the two she famously played anita in the original film won an academy award is an egot winner herself incredibly iconic actress and the fact that she's like about to be 90 and she's in this movie and she just does a i think she does a phenomenal job and for her to sort of be in the film and to you know pass the torch to ariana debose playing her same character mm-hmm. i just thought that that was a beautiful thing i'm so glad that you know steven spielberg called her up and brought her on board uh and steven sondheim's lyrics to these to these you know these incredibly iconic songs like West Side Story, like the the we we saw in the Heights earlier this year, right? And 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 the music in that in that stage play is obviously more modern because it's a more recent show. But the lyrics and the music in West Side Story, there's something timeless about it that still mm-hmm. works today. Like it, it's when I was watching the original film the other day to get ready for this, I'm like, man, how is this gonna work? Like this is this is very much a story of its time, like 50s, early mm-hmm. 60s. I don't know how this is going to translate. Like, yes, it's still set in that time period, but I don't know how it's going to translate. But this just reinforced like how timeless that music really is. And that's why West Side Story is so famous. And, and you know, I, I think th- th- this was just a this was just a great testament and to your point about remakes and, and the purpose of them and if we needed them or not, this is a clear cut of example of a remake we needed because that original film has a lot of flaws and a lot of things wrong with it. You know, mm-hmm. the, a lot of the actors who were portraying Puerto Ricans were famously not Puerto Rican or yeah. of Puerto Rican descent. Mm-hmm. 20 of the 38 principal actors in this movie are Puerto Rican or of Puerto Rican descent. Mm-hmm. You know, they use brown face in that movie. Rita Moreno has talked, you know, explicitly about how bad that experience was to she's Puerto Rican herself and they put brown face on her to make mm-hmm. her darker you know and just sort of you know insinuating the idea that they all have the same skin tone which is obviously just gross and disgusting but all of that stuff is shed here they got rid of all of that and lastly um iris manas is playing a character called anybody's here also coming from the original stage musical in the film mm-hmm. in the stage musical that character is portrayed to be you know sort of a tomboy here they actually i think made a smart choice to just make that character a trans Mm -hmm. um a trans male in the story and they even alluded to it several times throughout the throughout the musical numbers and throughout the script and it wasn't done in a heavy-handed way it was just done in a way to acknowledge that this person is you know not necessarily um not necessarily dealing with the same things that these other jets are dealing with, but I just thought yeah. that that was a great thing. And Iris Manus also comes from from the Broadway world, so just all around astounding film. Um, you know, we 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 talked a lot about it. Any you know sort of last things before we move on? You want to say about West Side Story? Nah, bro. Ariana DeBose supremacy. That's <laughs> from, all I got. From say. here to eternity, uh, she's definitely going to get nominated Best Supporting Actress. Um, this film's going to get a lot of nominations from the Academy Awards, as you said. Like, look out for this because. It's probably going to get the most nominations. It's not going to win 10 awards like the original. Like, no movie's going to ever win that many awards again. But Mm -hmm. listen, I wouldn't be surprised for her, for Best Picture. um, It it, it has some really good shots at at a lot of those top-of-the-line awards. So we'll be on the lookout for that. But if you've seen West Side Story, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it. Let's transition to the next film that you just recently checked out, a new film that just premiered on Netflix, The Unforgivable. Ruth, phone call. Hello. Hello? You're gonna pay for what you did. 
I was in prison. I just got out. I was there for 20 years. For what? Does your release alter the terms of your no-contact order? You don't have to give me a speech. I'm looking for Katie. She's my little sister. I raised her. Okay, next time, don't drag me through three bus transfers to tell me something you already know. John, there's a woman in the front yard. Can I help you with something? You're a lawyer. What would Catherine gain by meeting her now? I wonder all the time what she looks like, what she became. Your life starts here now, not 20 years ago. <clears throat> she did her time. She killed somebody in cold blood. If that were any of your black sons who had been in the system, they would be dead. She walks around like it never happened. Now you tell me if that's fair. You gotta be a convict wherever I go? No, you're a cop killer everywhere you go. Okay, Ruth, Ruth, just stop saying you're not. I'm good! Don't treat me like I don't exist! Tell her about me! I was pretend this is about her! Yes, I was protecting her! You are not a victim! Now, this movie is directed by Nora Feinsheet, and it's written by Sally Wainwright, and it's based on the British miniseries Unforgiven from 2009, and it's starring Sandra Bullock, John Bernthal, Aisling, Franchelski, Viola Davis, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Rob Morgan. So as I mentioned, this movie just premiered this past week on Netflix as a part of Netflix's year-long initiative to premiere a brand new movie every Friday, and this is definitely beginning some, some attention Sandra Bullock is obviously back. Very, very famous movie star with a very good cast here. And so mm-hmm. you got a chance to check this out. What did you think about The Unforgivable? Yeah, man. So I'm going to read the synopsis here. Released from prison after serving a sentence for a violent crime, Ruth Slater, Sandra Bullock, re-enters a society that refuses to forgive her past. Facing se- severe judgment from the place she once called home, her only hope for redemption is finding the estranged younger sister she was forced to leave behind. So the unforgivable comes, man, and you just see the cast instantly. You're like, oh, my God. Like, this is crazy. Uh, We got Sandra Bullock and Viola Davis. I remember the clip kind of came out uh, with with them kind of going back and forth in it maybe like a month or so ago, maybe a little before that. Um, And people are like, oh, my God, this is an instant Oscar classic or something like that. I'm like, y'all, it's one clip. Calm down. Uh, We have to see, you know, what happens when the movie comes out. Um, and you know, to be honest, it's just not that great of a movie. I'm actually keep this very short negative. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just not a very memorable experience. There are several flashbacks in the film that are, you're like, okay, but what about now? And then it's like, oh, nope, here's another flashback. Okay. Okay. We get it. But what is happening to Sandra Bullock's character now? Um, where is the depth uh, that we're looking for in this, you know, tumultuous time that she's going through. And it it, it, it continues to try to tell that narrative again through flashbacks. Um, and it just is it's not enough. They do this other thing 
uh, where it's not a bait per se, but they're like, Sandra Bullock, you're going to have the opposite of makeup on, whatever that is. They're just like, we're going to strip down you as much as we can to make you look like you're really struggling, which it is. Again, she was in prison for 20 years, this character. So how can we give her this look to make, you know, make it look like she's acting her ass off, which she is always, right? Sandra Bullock, she's going to be great regardless. Um, and you expect to, to see her character go through more arcs than you actually do in the film. Uh, but in the, you don't get it until like the last 10 minutes, which I think maybe the best part of the movie is like the last 10 minutes and you're like, Oh, the movie is finally alive. And then it's the end of the movie. And you're like, damn, is that, is that all? Is that, is that all we get? Um, this is really one of those films that it, it's, uh, just a little disappointing, um, again, because the cast is so strong here, because Viola Davis is, is exists, right? Because um, Vincent D'Onofrio is right. Like, I, I mean, this is, these are like some heavy hitters um, that we're talking about here, and it, it never results into anything. After I watched it, I was like, "Well, I guess that's it. That's the movie." Um, again, John Berthal comes in again, tries to be as charismatic as he always is on the screen. And it's just like, okay, but what happened to that character arc? There's like a small thing going on between Sandra Bullock's character and John Bernthal's character. And then it kind of, it kind of just dissolves and that's it. That's like all it results to in the film. Um, and you know, overall it's just her, Sandra, they waste Sandra Bullock's performance on just, a, a dark and sad story with no outcome. There's just there's just nothing in the end. It's just a very empty movie. Um, so yeah, man, that's pretty much it. There's not much to add to that. It, I think one of the problems um, that it suffers from the most is they they try to put an entire TV show into from 2009 and put it in a movie, and it's like, mm. but why? <laughs> but why did you do that? Why not? I would have actually rather for them to just remake this the limited series. And like you know, it's limited, which is fine. Like I would have, I would have taken an American remake limited series with Sandra Bullock and Viola Davis in it, and John. You know what I mean? I'd be like, oh heck yeah, I watched that series. But when it when they tried to squeeze all that into a movie, it just turns out um, that everything is surface level, and and nothing nothing really comes out of it but a forgettable story. That's a shame. I have to say that somebody texted me or recommended that I watch this. And if that person is listening, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> shame on you for doing that shit based off of this. Because not only am I hearing what you're saying, but I'm also, you know, looking at just like what the general impression is of the movie, reading some, you know, some reviews and seeing all these different things, just a response of it. And it's not positive at all. So, uh, yeah, if that person's listening, I, I, I see you now. I see what you <laughs> tried to do to me. You tried to get me to waste a couple hours. And I don't appreciate that. But um, it's a shame. It's it's a shame that such talented people are just a part of this. It seems like a mediocre project. And uh, mm. Sandra Bullock, I guess, is in her Netflix bag. Her last movie was literally Bird Box three years ago, which was also for Netflix. That was at that time, you know, the most popular Netflix movie mm-hmm. um, to, to be released. They were probably expecting something similar here because Sandra Bullock is such a such a megastar, such a recognizable name and face. But I don't you know, the movie has to be somewhat interesting and enticing. Like it can't 
like the you know the ca- a cast just doesn't sell movies anymore. That's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get that word of mouth. So it's unfortunate it, did, it didn't do better in that respect. So uh, yeah, I guess that I guess that's all on that movie. Mm-hmm. If anybody checked out the Unforgiven or excuse me, the Unforgivable, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it. Let's go ahead and transition, man. Um, Spider Man No Way Home comes out later this week. We will yes, of course sir. be reviewing that movie in full next week exclusively um, in next week's episode. But before we do that, we want to do something just a little bit fun, a little bit different. We want to rank all of the Spider-Man villains from the live action movies. And so we're going to just sit here and just sort of go through our (laughs) rankings of all these villains. Um, A few sort of just like rules and just like things that people should be mindful of before we get into it get into this so you know our methodology behind this um again we're only looking at the live action movies so spider-man into the spider-verse um villains are not included in this mm-hmm. list um this list contains a mixture of a movie's main villains um who are considered sort of super villains but also other enemies of peter parker which we know peter parker has a lot of enemies a lot of antagonists so we're including some more supporting roles in this list as well um villains from movies that haven't been released yet such as spider-man no way home are not included mm-hmm. nor are we actually you know because we haven't seen the movie, we can't consider the future performances of, you know, a Doc Ock or a Green right. Goblin. So we're not we're not really taking that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they must have premiered, these villains must have premiered in an actual live-action Spider-Man film and not only in a solo spinoff film. So a villain like Venom from the Venom movie or Morbius will not be considered here. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we haven't even seen Morbius. So just the, those standoff um, spinoff movies that have come out, we're not considering those. And also just one other thing to mention, um, some villains included in this list have been portrayed by multiple actors and will count as one entry. Um, but there have been a couple of other villains who've been interpreted so differently that they're going to actually have multiple entries. For example, Green Goblin, because there's been wildly different interpretations of that character across the films that we've seen. So, um, yeah, those are sort of like the rules and just like some of the things that we followed. want to just throw out a couple of honorable mentions here because these characters, you know, they made some minor appearances in previous Spider-Man movies, mm-hmm. but they were really small roles. They didn't actually influence the story. They were just kind of included as nods and maybe they were going to go somewhere in future movies but that just never panned out a couple of examples here scorpion who we saw in the post-credit scene for spider-man homecoming Mm -hmm. um alistar smythe who was in the amazing spider-man 2 played Mm. by bj novak Mm -hmm. um he was you know that character becomes ultimate spider slayer in the comics actually pretty big villain but they killed him off in Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was, you know, a choice. Um, also, Screwball has appeared a couple of times in the original Spider-Man movie, also in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, Chameleon technically was in Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, he was that bodyguard that was working with S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. but wasn't really used in any significant way. Uh, maybe in the future you will, but not so far up, up to this point. And then also from the Amazing Spider-Man 2, I forgot about this since I rewatched it, but they included Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. Black Hat, in that movie. Um, and she was played by felicity jones but never became black cat you know and never never truly influenced the events of that story so these are enemies of spider-man of course from the comics but they never really came to fruition in the in their portrayals in live action so they're not going to be included in this list um so with that said man let's go ahead and get into it let's do our official spider-man movie villain rankings who do you have at number 17 number 17 man let me think let me think let me think hmm in our list that we have here, part of me, okay, I got I got two ideas. I got to run by you. Two ideas, two ideas. One, Harry Osborn's Green Goblin. I know. It's like, <laughs> what? Um, but also, I'm thinking, 
uh, uh, what's his name? I'm kind of looking at, you know, a, uh, maybe, maybe a, uh, maybe a Flash Thompson? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Oh, wow. Well, uh, I, I mean, I have my solidified answer. I'm, it's Rhino for me. It's Rhino, Paul Giamatti's Rhino, Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> terrible. Terrible villain. Had no use really at all. It was just included as yep. this over-the-top, really bizarre character and just goofy. I mean, they were they were intentionally trying to be goofy by mm-hmm. design with this character, but it just didn't work for me. The mechanical suit was weird. Uh, Paul Giamatti. I mean, I gl- I'm, I'm glad he got a chance to just be in a comic book movie and have fun, but it just didn't work for me. So he's my, he's my 17. No, that's a great 17 spot man uh i i think i might give him um um oh man 17 is pretty close actually (laughs) the end of the list was like the question for me right it's like oh man some of these dudes are just bad together or just not as important too right um whereas uh in my mind tinkerer didn't have much to do um but he also is part vulture if that makes sense like it right without without tinker what does vulture have uh a hundred percent so yeah man i I'm, i might have to uh i have to agree with you on that on that rhino spot um at, sure. at, at, at number 17 i actually have at 16 the elementals um which mm-hmm. were in spider-man far from home uh that they were representing wind earth fire and water um, they're modeled after more traditional Spider-Man villains. They're modeled after Cyclone, Sandman, Molten Man, and Hydro Man. So mm-hmm. it was a nice nod to those characters, but they they turned out to just be fake. You know, they were not yeah. real. They were just like puppets used by Mysterio. Um, and so that kind of just like shed their importance for me. Like they were cool visually. The CGI was great, but they just didn't have all that much importance to me. So they fell at 16 for me. Yeah, that 16 spot. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and stick with, st- still stick with Tinkerer. Uh, yeah, I'm still gonna Tinker in that 16 spot. Well, yeah, Tink- Tinker is 15 for me. Um, you know, he was in Spider-Man: Homecoming for a little bit, as you mentioned. Like, he comes in higher than like a Rhino or the Elementals because he's somewhat important. He is like the right hand man to Vulture mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, so we got to see a little bit of what he could do and the fact that he's you know this this weapons inventor and this you know engineer almost um, in a sense and dealt with the technology but they just didn't give them that much to do the tinker that we saw in the miles morales video game much more impressive. oh yeah like, was that was different. that was a way different interpretation <laughs> but also like a, a great a great interpretation of that character so i liked what they did there but they just kind of played with the character here is just like a uh, a right hand man to vultures so that's kind of what you know where i have for that character um yeah Wait, what was that 15 spot what was that 15 spot that was 15 yeah yeah my 15 i think we just got them switched to mine was the elementals um the okay. elementals just caused a little bit more of a ruckus <laughs> than yeah. you know than like Tinker did or uh uh again than um Rhino ever did. I, I kind of feel like which again Rhino even in the game was better than Rhino uh that we seen here. That was For sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think uh I'm gonna go with that. Yeah. At fourteen, sort of similar to Tinker, I have the Shocker, which was also in Spider Man Homecoming. Which was interestingly played by two different actors. So the Shocker was portrayed by Bokeem Woodbine and Logan Marshall Green, aka mm-hmm. Tom Hardy's lookalike. Um, <laughs> in that movie, Logan Marshall Green was that character for a pretty short amount of time. If you haven't gotten the point, we're spoiling these movies. So if you haven't seen them, too bad. But um, Logan Marshall Green got like vaporized by yep. Vulture, and mm-hmm. um, 
Vulture then deemed Herman Schultz, who's actually the Shocker in the comics, which was played by Bukeem Woodbine, as like the new Shocker. And so he got a chance to wield the sort of the, 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 the electricity gauntlet on his arm. And he had, you know, somewhat of a comics accurate costume. So I liked what they did for Shocker there. But again, it's just such a meager and almost unimportant role. It was just like a heavy for, for Peter Parker in that movie. It wasn't anything substantial. So fell at 14 for me. Yeah, we got actually have that exact same spot. Shocker was just uh, a lot of meh going on. Um, where it, it was crazy as Shocker does have potential, but they never give it to him all the way. I think part of that is Electro is such so much more of a bigger everything mm, yeah, <laughs> uh, version of Shocker. He's just like a way better version of Shocker. So they always kind of put Shocker in, in the background while Electro kind of remains the main electricity based, you know what I mean, uh, kind of villain. So I think that's that's what I agree. Same spot, same spot. Definitely, definitely. Let's move on to 13. Who do you have in this spot? 13 coming in after um, Shocker. After Shocker, I have... Oh, here we go. Uh, after Shocker, I actually have um, the new Goblin. I have James Franco's Goblin, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, because he is... I don't know. He was just really cringy for me for some reason. I think it was the whole, <laughs> like, oh my god, Peter, we are... What, what, what I will say, the one thing I do love about this character is the realization of... Um, when when his dad in the first movie says, you know, we could be great together or whatever. And then they mm. end, they're like finally great together at some point, but in a different iteration of Goblin than it was before. I was like, OK, that's decent. But just I don't know. It was something about the way he came in into the movie uh, in 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 um, Spider-Man uh, three. Yeah, that was that's so interesting. Like, I don't know. It, it was just yeah. it was just weird for me, man. It was just weird for me. Yeah, that's so. I have him a lot higher. I actually have him at number seven. He's all uh-huh. the way in my number seven spot. I I, I agree with you. There's there's def, it's not a perfect interpretation of that character at yeah. all. It, it is a weird storyline, and the amnesia that they did in Spider Man Three was also like, mm-hmm. okay, we did all of that work, you know, and all of that character development just to like make him forget all this shit. But I I gotta say, like the fact that he got a chance to develop over three movies is mm. why he places so higher for a lot of other people for me because we saw him you know really be friends to peter but that jealousy was starting to yeah. blossom a little bit in that first movie mm-hmm. and then in the second movie he's very hell-bent on finding out you know who his father's killer is and then by the end of that movie he does mm-hmm. and then by the third movie is where we see him suit up and that's kind of the disappointing part like i feel like one and two they they nailed him and then the third one where he suits up we only saw him really in the suit in the beginning and the end of the movie um I think the reconciliation makes sense for them at the end. I like that. But the the amnesia and like him forgetting for like an hour and 20 minutes of that movie, he's just like, <laughs> oh, you know, I can't remember. Like, did I have a lot of, you know, girlfriends in high school? Like, oh, yeah. Peter, like, are we like best friends or not? And that was weird for me. But, uh, you know, I, I have them I have pretty high here, higher than a lot of folks. So interesting. For me, mm-hmm. 13 is uh, Electro, gotcha. um, played by Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. Um, Good God, what did they do to this man? I just don't. Nobody knows. <sighs> Listen, he's not at the bottom for me because right. it's still Jamie Foxx and there's still a quality actor under there and he's still doing the best he can with what he has to work with. But just the the blue prosthetics and the mm-hmm. look of the character just don't work. And then the fucking goofy one-liners that he has. Like he, he sings the Itsy Bitsy Spider when him and Spider-Man are fighting at the end of that movie. 
And then in Times Square, he's like, now it's time for me to light my candles. I'm like, this oh, is yeah. Batman and Robin level bad. Like, what's <laughs> with all these puns? Like, yeah. you, you would think we're in 1997 and we're watching Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. And so I just did not like any of that stuff that they did. So I'm glad that he'll ultimately have, hopefully, a chance at redemption mm-hmm. in Spider-Man No Way Home. And we'll, we'll get to see a much better interpretation. But yeah, he, he falls at 13 for me because it just didn't. It just didn't work at all in that movie, unfortunately. I think I mean the visual effects, they were actually done well, but it just yeah. it was just such a ridiculous look to the character. I don't know why they went they just tried to be too cool with it. They tried to mm-hmm. do a little bit too much and I think it, it you know it ended up backfiring. So pretty low for me here. Um let's move on to twelve. At twelve, mm-hmm. I actually have the burglar who mm-hmm. is the guy responsible for Uncle Ben's death. Um he's Played by two different actors um, in the Spider-Man movie in 2002. He's portrayed by Michael Papa John. Um, in The Amazing Spider-Man, he's pra- portrayed by Lee Ganvort. Um, and it's two different scenarios here. In the first movie, he robs the wrestling event that right. Peter has just, you know, sort of participated in. And Peter, as a way to get back at the wrestling promoter, lets, lets him go by um, to steal the money because he didn't get rightfully paid what he thought he was going to get paid. And then in The Amazing Spider-Man, he's actually just like a... Um, He's just like a, a a cash register thief. He comes inside mm-hmm. like a bodega and just tries to stick up the place. So two different interpretations, but ultimately is responsible for the death of Uncle Ben, Uncle ben in both of those um, films. And I think it was important to include him in on this list. Like he's not a main villain or antagonist by any stretch. Of right. course, we only see him for very little, but he's so integral to Peter Parker's mm-hmm. story, right? Exactly. Like he he sets everything in motion. Like the death of Uncle Ben is is the impetus for this character in a lot of respects, and we didn't see that. Um, carried out in the new Spider-Man Homecoming trilogy, which is what all of us wanted because we saw it enough. But I think that there is a spot for him here just because of how important of a character he is just to the Spider-Man mythos and everything mm-hmm. that, that, that that led to the creation of that character. Yeah, man, we actually uh, have the same spot again here. Um, the burglar, I think, rightfully belongs in that spot. Like you said, he's very important uh, to everything that Peter Parker um, has gone through, right? Uh, I, I even remember at one point when I was... Um, I was I was arguing um, about just just uh, I don't know race bending characters or when Miles was first becoming a thing, people were like, okay, but what's the difference? And mm-hmm. uh, there was I had a scenario where the burglar killed um, killed killed Miles's dad. That was the scenario, and now all of a sudden it looks like a black man being killed in the streets holds different weight. Yeah. And then, 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 you know, just Uncle Ben dying is, you know, and, and, and that, that, that means two different things for two different communities. Um, and so, yeah, man, I think the burglar, uh, it serves more as a symbol <laughs> than anything else. Um, True. and, and as a catalyst again to, to one of our favorite superheroes. So, like you said, he's very important. So, not at the bottom, um, but uh, of course, not the, the influence for the top. Um, absolutely. So, yeah. Same yeah. spot. Uh, number 11 for me, I have the Lizard, um, which didn't crack my top 10. I mean, Lizard in The Amazing Spider-Man, I don't know, man. I, I'm i not a fan of the character design. That's mm-hmm. one big flaw against that character. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why they strayed so far away from the comics look of the Lizard. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm unapologetically a fan of, like, the Lizard wearing the lab coat. I think that that's, like, really cool because mm-hmm. um, he's still, he's still you know, being the professor, Dr. Kirk Connors, at the end of the day. But I didn't like the character design. And then just the motivations felt thin, really thin for me. Like, he just wanted to turn 
all of New York into giant lizards. He wanted yeah. to replace like the species of, of 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 beings that existed on the on the Manhattan mm-hmm. Island. And I'm just like, what? Why? Why? <laughs> like, what? Why are we doing this? Like, yeah, okay, genetically superior, I guess. You know, if we want to really go that route, because he can still think and have his human faculties, like his mental capabilities, but also have this, you know, this super jacked lizard reptilian form. Um, but it was just strange. It was just, a, I think it was a strange interpretation of the character. And so, again, looking forward to hopefully maybe some redemption for this character in Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't know if the role will be big. Maybe not. But I think there's another swing at the bat. But, yeah, that's my thoughts on Lizards. Who do you have at uh, number 11? Number 11, this is my Electro spot, man. This is my Jamie Foxx mm. spot. What the hell is going on here with the, I don't know, man. He looks like something out of Avatar kind of he, he not the navi he was he looked like the navi bro that boy came straight from pandora oh, um man. again i will just never forget in that theater i think i said it out loud i was like where did his gap go i remember <laughs> like because <laughs> his character Yo. has a whole gap all of a sudden he gets electric powers and the gap is gone it's like they tried to make him glow up like steve urkel like stefan but yeah. like I don't know what was going on, bro. I mean, they, they, I guess I, I will, I will always welcome, uh, the attempt at a new interpretation, but you mm. just have to do it right. It just wasn't done right. It's as simple as that, to be honest. They just didn't, they just didn't do it right. Um, and like you said, all these crazy quips was going on and, and stuff like that. Uh, he gets more points just because it's Jamie Foxx and I, it's become such a running gag now that when I watch the movie, I just like laugh at it and I'm like, okay, whatever. Like this exists. We're watching it. We're here. Um, plus there's the whole like power grid, uh, scene kind of thing going on with Electro. And I was like, Oh, okay. It's a lot of CGI, but it's like, huh? CGI has progressed. Like I remember watching Mm -hmm. it and being like, Oh, okay. This looks okay. Uh, but yeah, just him as a, as a design and a character and he lost all his hair and it was just a lie. If he could see all of a sudden, he, I don't know. It's, it's like, man, does electric get rid of all your <laughs> character flaws? you I don't know. Apparently so. <laughs> Apparently so. It, it's, it's wild, man. He had a lot going on, but yeah, man, that's my 11 spot. Yeah. I, I, I'm really eager to see what these upgrades are in Spider-Man No Way Home because we're seeing a more modern, uh gritty i think more makeshift version of the character like his suit looks basic really Mm -hmm. really basic it's not over the top he's not blue of course like he has his regular skin color you know he looks like himself he got the cleanest fade i've ever seen (laughs) it is he do got a lot like he just you know i'm like dude looks good jamie fox looks really good um so i'm just very interested to see like how they're Mm -hmm. gonna make that story make sense like how does he go from being this (laughs) blue man you know and the amazing spider-man to come to becoming a normal individual you know just with the the power of electricity in this film so quite curious to see what they do in no way home uh let's move on to 10 the top 10 who do you have at your number 10 spot my number 10 spot is lizard actually lizard is my 10 spot mm-hmm. um he gets a little more points than electro for me i think one he just felt like a main villain like even though all that stuff was going down it was like yes he is still the main villain of this. I agree. The character design was not it. Um, I he doesn't even look like a he does look like a I don't know what he looks like. It's just not a dinosaur. He looks like a dinosaur. Yeah, bro. He yeah. just was not full lizard. I don't know if I expected more scales or 
I don't know. Like like you said, I, they just should have leaned more into the comic book there. It's one of those things. Like make his his mouth actually look. Yeah, like it's, like he doesn't lizard-ish. have a nose. Really. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the the facial and head structure of a lizard isn't there. It's isn't just like there. a normal head without a nose. Exactly. Um, and I guess, like you said, I, I kind of understand his motivations a little bit. Whatever the genetic advancement of people, <laughs> or whatever he was trying to do there. But it was all just kind of okay. Um, and I, again, I will say this is a this is the better you know Amazing Spider Man movie. Um, because at least he served some type of citywide threat for real, for real. Like it was like right. no, at least it was like no, nah, everybody's affected. And I think I appreciate that a little bit. It's like at least he was gonna fuck some niggas up, <laughs> and Spider Man had to do something about that. Um, and and I, and I think that was important. So I think that's why he does get a little bit higher on my list. Um, here in in, in the rank of villains, man. What about you? Ten for me is Venom from Spider Man Three. Uh-huh. Uh, Ah, well, look, we don't have to rehash the problems of Venom in that movie. Like, yeah. those, those are well said and well known. Like, should not have been in the movie. Sam Raimi didn't want him in the movie. Mm-hmm. The studio forced him to be in there. Um, would have been a great for a fourth Sam Raimi movie if they would have just purely focused on Venom, but they didn't want to do that. Listen, I'm going to give a little bit of credit to Topher Grace. Like, yes, miscast, for sure, because mm-hmm. he doesn't, you know, sort of resemble the Eddie Brock that we're used to from the comics, like this big swole jock-like type dude tom hardy obviously fits more of that mold in these new movies but i do want to say that Topher grace with what he had to do in that movie i thought was actually a really good foil for mm. toby Maguire's peter parker like i actually enjoy their banter their back and forth their one-upsmanship you know especially with the stuff with the with the daily bugle and the jealousy that exists there and the gwen stacy stuff it became goofy obviously mm-hmm. and like the fact that Topher grace like goes inside a chapel and literally prays for the death of peter parker is Yep. the most wild shit ever to me <laughs> like yes. putting the movie like Pretty this insane. man literally prayed for his death um and then like once venom comes into the movie it doesn't really work mm-hmm. um but you know the character design was fine like it was pretty faithful not completely faithful but pretty faithful you had the spider on the chest which we haven't seen lately um so you know he's he's there for me not the worst by any stretch i think there's definitely worse interpretations of characters here as i've already mentioned i liked what Telford grace brought he was miscast absolutely but you know he had a mm-hmm. job to do and i think he did a pretty good job at it it just you know he just shouldn't have been in the movie it should have just been its own isolated movie and i think it would have had more to do there so you know um let's go ahead and move on to nine nine i have sandman also from spider-man mm-hmm. 3 mm-hmm. um which thomas hayden church i thought did a good job in that movie i like the sandman storyline for the most part like there's real motivation there with like him wanting to tend to his daughter and the medical, you know, troubles and, and difficulties that she was having and he needed money and he's fresh out of prison. He just escaped. He's a convict on the run. The big problem for Sandman is the retcon that they instituted with mm. the death of Uncle Ben from the first movie. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. that takes away the importance of the burglar in that movie and sort of puts it more on Sandman in this film. Say, I, You know, it just seemed like Sam Raimi needed a reason to make him important and mm-hmm. to have a role in this movie and that was the best idea that i guess him and the writers could come up with it doesn't really work i think now to retcon that death but i do like the visual look of sandman in that movie i think the cgi actually still kind of holds up just mm-hmm. looked at it it still looks pretty good yeah. uh and the physical action between sandman and spider that spider-man in that movie really impressive like mm-hmm. the, the 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 fight that they had on the 
on the um the bank truck and the fight that they had at the end of the movie and in the subway when spider-man thought that he killed them with the with the water i think all was really creative and inventive stuff like i really really like that and again this is another guy that's going to have some redemptive uh some redemptive qualities hopefully in spider-man no way home so we'll see who do you have at number nine so in my ninth spot i do indeed have um the tougher grace venom uh mm. he uh I, I, I try to remember like how I felt when the movie first came out, right? When I'm in the theater, I'm clearly not that old, right? I mean, these are kind of old movies now, both Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. I'm like, dang, how old am I? Um, and I just remember being like, damn, Venom's here. And I think I was excited for that just in general. Like, oh, Venom is here. Is it the best depiction? No, it's not the best depiction. But the fact that they decided, um, again, for him to exist was just cool to me. Uh, of course, he shouldn't have been in it at all. <laughs> it was way too early for everything. But uh, it, if you like strip away that whole movie and just like only play the Venom parts, it's like, OK, like, yeah, I, I don't mind this, you know, but with, I think it just doesn't fit with the rest of the movie, um, which is the biggest problem. But Topher Grace was so, so different is I just I also remember being like, why is his teeth sharp, too? I was like, oh, yeah, his teeth Strange. are also sharp, bro. They just be yeah. changing people in these Spider-Man movies, bro. <laughs> They're like, we're going to make you a vampire now, too. You're a vampire and Venom at the same time. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, it, it, that's my nice spot, man. He was, he was cool. It was also weird that, like, Venom, like, when he got the suit, when Topher Grace, Eddie Brock got the suit, like, he was just, like, swinging through New York City, and he just, like, arbitrarily yep. ran into into Sam Man out of nowhere, like in, nowhere. In, a, in a random alley, and I'm just like, what the? F-? And now y'all, now y'all are teaming up. That just didn't make any sense. Like they they just made up a reason for them to come together and like team up against Spider Man. So it was strange. Um, gonna do eight and seven together because I already mentioned seven. Seven for me is New Goblin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is portrayed by James Franco in Spider Man Three. But eight is Dane DeHaan's Green Goblin from the Amazing Spider Man Two. So mm-hmm. um, I have him at eight. Which is higher than I thought, but I, you know, rewatching the movie Amazing Spider-Man Two, not a great movie, but mm-hmm. his particular character in the movie actually has some good motivation. They Agreed. they changed it around a little bit. Um, you know, he's he's very much like trying to use Spider-Man's blood to heal himself. He has that degenerative, you know, um, d- disease uh, uh, from his mm-hmm. father, Norman Osborn, that just like deteriorates his skin, slowly just mutilates him, and ultimately leads to death. And it just like it gets accelerated really fast in the movie when he tries to take like an antidote um, to help it. Um, and and what we see by the end of that movie when he becomes Green Goblin, they try to make him more faithful to the comic version of Green Goblin because like people thought that the Willem Dafoe costume was kind of goofy. And so like they actually made Dane DeHaan like more deformed and more Goblin-esque mm-hmm. yeah. in, in his skin and just the makeup and the hair and the teeth. Um, which I actually thought kind of worked, and also like the fact that he's responsible for the death of Gwen Stacy, just like in the comics, they actually mm-hmm. carried that storyline out in the movie. That works for me, you know. I think that if the Amazing Spider-Man two focused solely on that, like that's mm-hmm. another movie you really don't need Electro. Like, right. just lean more into the Goblin stuff and focus on the death of Gwen Stacy. The Electro stuff just becomes a big distraction, and mm-hmm. you just want to do another team up. And they were trying to build towards Sinister Six. Too much going on. They just got mm-hmm. too ambitious too early. So. He falls in number eight for me. And then, as I mentioned, James Franco, number seven, New Goblin. I liked what they did with the arc of the character over the course of the three movies. It just mm-hmm. kind of fell flat by the third one. Uh, so I am going to backtrack a little bit. My This is a spot, right? 
Yes. Yeah, my eight spot was uh, Sandman. I agree with you. I think the CGI actually still holds up for Sandman, which was one of my favorite things about him. Um, it was the first time they gave us just such a different villain. I think um, mm-hmm. in in that Spider Man universe, somebody that could. I mean, the boy's like flying through the air <laughs> because he's just made of sand, and it's like, oh, okay. Um, like you said, his downfalls. His he really doesn't have much motivation, um, and he does have to share a screen with a lot of these other villains. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna say this preemptively, but like, I don't know why they haven't noticed this yet. But when they focus on one really strong villain, the movie's better. I don't know why they haven't got that. It's like a very clear thing <laughs> that on the outside looking in is like, duh. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it Sandman um, holds that spot for me. You already kind of said all the things mm, there. Okay. Uh, and then what? What's the other spot? Uh, seven, eight. All right, seven spot. Um, in my seven spot, I actually have. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man Green Goblin. Look at that. Um, because I actually liked, um, you know, his portrayal of Green Goblin as a whole. Dane DeHaan, I think he did a good job being kind of a spiritual successor to Willem Dafoe's um, um, Green Goblin. But like you said, just a little remixes in there. They did deteriorate his skin and they did uh, uh, make him look more yeah. uh, crazy. Um, kind of, kind of like a uh, goblin was. Plus, I think he was just sinister. Like he looks really scary. Like when you see him um, pop up, he he looks like a villain. And uh, and 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 I was okay with that. I think he had um, a lot of hate in his heart, or and a lot of both uh, uh, fear in his heart too, because his body was changing so much. And that that was like enough motivation for me to be like, damn, this dude is actually kind of. This is actually kind of a decent portrayal. Uh, and I think a lot of the problems with that film. Uh, it's not necessarily him, or it's just it's some other things, you know. That a problem. That's the problem with uh, Amazing Spider-Man too. But I actually did not mind um, his his Harry Osborn's Green Goblin. So yeah, that's my seventh spot. Absolutely, uh, my six might surprise some folks because uh, he's he's pretty high here. I have Flash, Flash Thompson at number six because I think that Flash obviously is not a super villain by any stretch of the imagination, but he is such a big foil for Spider-Man in all interpretations that we've seen in live action. Now, mm-hmm. in the first movie, Joe Manganiello just plays like the physical jock brute, you know, like just trying to beat up Peter. But that was such an important scene. I think like that was the first time that we saw that dynamic between those two characters. We mm-hmm. didn't see him again in any of any of the other movies, but I thought that like in the small role that Joe Manganiello had that he did a good job. Tony Revolori though has taken yes. this character to another level. <laughs> like he is so yes. funny, but such a dick to to Tom Holland's Peter Parker in spider-man homecoming and spider-man far from home i just love the fact that like they cast somebody against type they didn't just go for another mm-hmm. swole jock guy because they did the same thing in the amazing spider-man 2 with uh chris zilka he was just kind of another another jock athlete but tony revelori brings something completely new and different just a new type of energy calling him penis parker just most the most immature <laughs> shit ever like but then like it, it's it's believable enough too because like now people are just built different like folks yeah. don't really look like how like nobody looked like Joe Manganiello in high school. That's kind of crazy. Like he was yeah, a grown man, you he's know, a grown man, like weighing two hundred or something. Unless he was on the football team, but like Tony Revolori, just his role, man. He's more of a more of a witty foe, right? And I think a lot of what we see is mostly just like the banter between the two. There's not like huge motivations mm-hmm. to the to the Flash Thompson character, but he's a mainstay. He's a mainstay in the comics. He's been a mainstay in the movies. So he falls like six for six for me. So I'm I'm pretty unapologetic about that. But that's that's kind of my wild card that I'm gonna throw into throw into to the six spot 
Yeah, I thought I was going to be alone here, though, because I also have uh, Flash Thompson in my sixth spot. And it's kind of it's kind of what you said, man. He is a constant force in Peter's life uh, in any iteration. Like you said, in, in the Spider-Man and all the Spider-Man movies and comics, he's the exact same way. He even becomes like anti-venom something at some point. I'm yep. trying to remember. But yeah, bro, this dude is just a just imagine just a constant bully and asshole in your life all the time. And it really does. Um, it messes with you, bro. It, it 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 it's just really cool. I think to see um, it's, it's it's always that high school dynamic between them. It's always the I hate you, Peter Parker. Shut up, kind of type thing. And Peter's like, you know, has to ignore this dude. It's always the the reminder that Peter is a normal guy outside the suit for me. And Flash always provides like that. He always tries to humble him all the time. He's like the one person. That is constantly trying to humble Peter uh, throughout his in, through every iteration throughout his entire life. Um, so yeah, man, he gets that spot for me too. I thought it was just me, but he's he's he, again out of all the villains on this list though too. He's almost the most consistent. Like you, we're gonna see Flash pop up in almost every other uh, uh, even again like comic of Spider Man. But yeah. you know maybe a uh, Electro's not gonna show up every issue, or you know somebody else isn't gonna show up. But Flash is probably there wreaking some havoc. Um, and that's another reason why he gets such a high spot for me. Yeah, he he's a mainstay. I mean, it's it's nothing wrong because Peter is so entrenched in high school. It's nothing wrong with just having an old fashioned bully like mm-hmm. just be that guy. And like Tony Revolori, his hair is gonna be blonde in this new one, so I can't wait to see like yes. what differences may exist. But he's also like in the, in this new interpretation, like a super fan of of Spider Man, which is hilarious because the guy that he always picks on is indeed Spider Man. So I can't wait to see what that looks like. Let's go ahead and move to the top five, the big, big top five here. Uh, I'm gonna kick it over to you, man. Who do you have at your your fifth spot right now in these rankings? All right, man, my fifth spot. This was a hard one for me because top five is just, they all go together. They're all clumped up for me um, in, in, in the friends and holding hands. But I think I'm going to go ahead and, and, and get out the uh, Mysterio number five here, man. I think Mysterio is, uh, of course, just amazing. He's a classic um, villain, man. He is one of the, the greatest to ever behoove Spider-Man. And he does it with no powers. That's like says with uh, anything within itself, man. Plus, Jake Gyllenhaal came in, and he really did what he had to do, being such a charismatic guy um, <laughs> to the audience and to Spider-Man and all everybody, all parts. Um, it takes a lot to kind of get over uh, the head of, of, of Nick Fury. <laughs> and he did that here. He's he, You know, Nick Fury, he even had Nick Fury by, um, by the heart, man. So... Uh, uh, Mysterio gets my fifth spot again. Not only classic in, in 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 comics, but I think Jake Gyllenhaal really did something different. Plus, I have to say, all the the fight scenes that they have in 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 the movie Man Far From Home, they look so freaking good. Uh, like I remember when we were watching it, I was like, "Damn, this shit look good!" Like, uh, cause you know it's a it's an illusion, and they like perfectly. I think put in the the CGI to make it look like so, but still make it look mm-hmm. real at the same time. It was just very well done. I think um, a lot of the things they were doing with Mysterio, man. I, I just think he was a a cool character, um, and Jake Gyllenhaal was the right person to do it. So yeah, that's why he's number number five on my list. 
Yeah, Mysterio's also far from me. I, not much to add there. You said it all. I, I just, you know, that was a character I've been waiting on for so long. I wanted them to do Mysterio for so long, all the way back to the Sam Raimi movies, because mm-hmm. he's just such a cool character and just yeah. so different and so unique. And the look is wild. And you know, I think, I think, I think what Jake Gyllenhaal was re- was really fantastic. I mean, he would be higher on my list, but they spent so much time trying to get the audience and to get Peter into buying the fact that he's like a good guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that all feeds into like the master of illusion ID and him, you know, being a trickster and a master magician. Um, but still nonetheless, like just great stuff and like using the elementals to trick everybody and just like all of the, the CGI that they used to, to bring those, those dream sequences, those illusions to life was just extraordinary. And the costume is like as accurate as you can get. So mm-hmm. just great stuff on their part and has influenced everything that's going to happen in Spider-Man No Way Home. So very, very Thanks. impactful villain there. Um, who do you have at number four here? Number four, I think. Oh man, we're gonna be close here, maybe, hopefully. But this this goes to the one and only, <laughs> the the man himself, Jonah J. Jameson, the mm, yeah. the the beast, the monster, the the just as much as we were talking about how Flash is a constant um, force in in Spider Man's life uh, as a menace. Uh, no one does it better than than J. Jonah Jameson, bro. Uh, he is... Uh, I don't even know how to explain him, bro. That's how, like, consistent this dude is. It's like the he's the fly in Spider-Man's ear at all times because he doesn't only terrorize Peter Parker. He terrorizes Spider-Man. Literally both sides of the coin. Joe Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson is literally getting on Peter Parker's nerves, whether it's Peter Parker... Take a picture of Spider-Man. This sucks. Put it on page one. I'm only give you $150. That's the Peter Parker side. The Spider-Man side, this man's a menace. Why do we allow him to be a, the, the superhero of New York City? He sucks. He's actually in cahoots with Goblin, and he's in cahoots with all the other villains that are here. It's just he, he cannot get this man off of his back. What was also so, so interesting about Joe Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson is that in some ways he kind of needs him. He kind of mm-hmm. needs, he needs him to, that is who pays his bills, right? He probably does pay his rent because of, <laughs> because of this man. Um, but also he does get a lot of buzz. Um, and there's a lot of uh, uh, opposition to the way J. Jonah Jameson talks about Spider-Man too. And that actually kind of helps Spider-Man sometimes. Like people be like, J. Jonah Jameson said this. But then there's like a, uh, for example, in the video game, there's a podcaster that's like, no, Spider-Man did this, this, and this. And to oppose J. Jonah Jameson, that's like important though, because without Joe J. J. Jonah Jameson's um, antagonistic nature, maybe that person doesn't step up um, and, and, and talk about how good Spider-Man is. But he still gives him publicity. He still gives him money. Um, but at the same time, it, it is a very abusive relationship. And it's clear that he is uh, and forever will always be one of one of his biggest villains, man. So that's why he gets my fourth spot. Oh, JJ. Gotta love him. Uh, this J. Jo- J. Jonah Jameson is actually my number three spot. Uh, I have him that high just because of how mm-hmm. impactful J.K. Simmons in portraying that character is in all of the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Uh, ever since we saw him in Spider-Man in 2002 from Sam Raimi, you just looked at J.K. Simmons and said, this guy is perfect. The voice, the look, the attitude, the mannerisms, everything is just on point, completely perfect. He nails it every single fucking time and i think his best performance actually comes in spider-man 2 because he's so actively against spider-man and doc ock and he wants to desperately bring him down and you know there there's even that point where you know toby mcguire spider-man kind of loses his powers and mm-hmm. almost gives up being spider-man and then jay jj gets the suit and 
you know, if you've ever seen like the extended cut of that movie, like he yep. puts the suit on at one time, it's just ridiculous. Like <laughs> J.K. Simmons is just, just so iconic in that role, and that's he why is. they brought him back in these new movies. And you just gotta love all the quotable stuff that he says, just how dismissive he is, how angry he is. It's just great stuff. And then for me at four, I actually have Vulture. Vulture mm. is my number four, portrayed by Michael Keaton in Homecoming. Um Vulture is like famously like the first big Spider-Man vi- villain in the comics. That's like that's who he faced off with, and so yep. the fact that we finally got to see Vulture in a live-action movie, another character I was desperately f- waiting for to see in a live-action film, and Michael Keaton, man, Batman himself comes over to the Marvel side and does Vulture. Just such a pleasant experience because he's such an incredible actor and the fact that like he's a really grown man like and he has a family <laughs> and yeah. he's facing off against this teenager. There's a true intimidation there, right? And I think that mm-hmm. Tom Holland did an equally impressive job in, in terms of showing that fear that he has of, 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 of Vulture, Adrian Toomes in that movie. And then obviously the twist is iconic now yes. in, in Spider-Man Homecoming. Like Tom Holland showing up to take Liz out to prom to discover that her father is indeed Adrian Toomes. Mm-hmm. It's just like one of the biggest gasps in a movie I've had in recent memory because <laughs> nobody saw that shit coming. And then the slow burn of the moment in the car when Vulture is starting to slowly realize that the guy in the backseat is indeed Spider-Man. And then that moment when they close up on his face and you get the red light to green light transition, the moment that he actually realizes like that motherfucker is Spider-Man and he's been Bruh. interfering with my business. You gotta love it. It's just, that was just such great stuff, man. Mm-hmm. So he's in the top five for sure. He's at four. And I got JJ, uh, JJ Jameson at number three. Um, so just great stuff all around. This is where it gets really competitive. Like all yeah. these villains are just like so mm-hmm. memorable in their own respects. Yeah. Um, that's how, um, and that's why he's in my third spot because, mm-hmm. uh, everything you just said, bro, just as an experience, you first watching that movie, you're like, holy shit. We watch a lot of movies, man. And sometimes it's not always easy to get a plot twist to get me, but for some reason, maybe, Maybe they did a good job of making my mind go elsewhere, or maybe they did a good job of, you know, really anything. I just did not see it coming. And so when it hit me, I I mean, it, it's just different. It's just something I hadn't felt, I think, in, in, in one of these movies before. Um, because these movies aren't really, uh, the, original, the original Sam Raimi's aren't really plot twisty. You know, they're like, you know, very, very um, um, grounded and straightforward movies. And then we get something like this, and you're like, oh, my goodness, is this what's going down? And it creates such different tension. And it allows uh, uh, us to, I think, actually understand high school Spider-Man for like the first time. Um, because again, all the, the Sam Raimi run is so mature and so outside of kind of high school um, yeah. a little bit. And that was the one where I was like, oh man, this is this kid is like 16. <laughs> and now <laughs> right. he has to deal with this this is the thing that he has to deal with. It just, it just, it just meant something different. Um, and and I actually loved uh, just all the technology having to deal with him. I do actually like how they kind of took some like Chitari technology mm, <laughs> and kind of yep. fused it with what he had going on um, inside of his kit, inside of. Uh, and I loved his character design. I thought the the mask looks really good for me. Uh, I, it 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 just worked. It just worked. And like you said, the legendary Michael Keaton, uh, the the Batman himself, be uh, becoming this villain even even meant uh, that much more. Um, so yeah, man, that's, that's why he's on my third spot. I laugh every time Michael Keaton goes in the glove compartment of the car when he realizes Peter Parker is Spider-Man. 
<laughs> and pulls out the Glock and just sits it on the on the on the headrest of the passenger seat, and he just like sits there with it. And I'm like, God, man, he might put a bullet in this man's ass. Like it's gonna be it's gonna be something serious. So gotta love Vulture. Uh, we're in the top two now, which you know probably no surprise by this point if you're listening. Yeah. Um, number two for me is Doc Ock, Doctor Otto Octavius. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alfred Molina in Spider Man Two, which is you know long been revered as one of, if not the best Spider-Man movies to to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's just I mean, he is Doc Ock, right? That Doc Ock is one of the, the the most intimidating and one of the most formidable villains in all of Spider-Man comics and the way that they brought him to life, Sam Raimi in Spider-Man 2 is just so accurately done. It, from the look to the character design to also just the motivations, um, very very heartfelt motivations to that character as well, like he lost the love of his life and his his whole career had been flushed down the toilet because the experiment mm-hmm. with the with the with the technology had gone wrong and you know now he's seeking out revenge against against anybody that opposes him and he's really just a man on a mission he wants to seek out and finish his work he's built this machine to harness the power of the sun and Spider-Man is just that pest that continues to show up you know he doesn't necessarily have anything personal against Spider-Man he just wants to achieve his own objective and Spider-Man is not willing to let that happen but ultimately that creates a very personal tension because then, you know, Doc Ock relies on um, Harry Osborn to get information about mm-hmm. Spider-Man. And then he has to, you know, intervene with Peter Parker's life, of course, because of that. It's just so well done. And the fight sequences, my lord, are still some of the best we've ever seen in any Spider-Man movie. Like from the from the skyscraper fight on the side of the building to mm-hmm. the bank to the subway fight on top of the subway. Yeah. Like that stuff still, they, they, they still call back to that now just because of how well done it was. And I, I just rewatched Spider-Man 2 and like, even in the way that they fight, you can see that like, Doc Ock is throwing like small obstacles at Peter for him to figure out. Like he's he's taking an innocent person and, you know, just flailing them across the town. And Peter has to figure that out because there's mm-hmm. just so much... Dyn- dyn- dynamism that dynamism whatever that word is there it's just, it's just it's such a dynamic fight because you have the, the 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 mechanical tentacle arms and then you have spider-man using his webbing and the and the stuff that he has to go through with that it's just it's just extraordinary i just love what they did and you know can't wait to see what he does in spider-man no way home very excited about that yeah man we quite easily i think share this top two um and you know doc Ock sits on my second spot they really just struck gold um, when they got Alfred Molina, I think, to play this this character, because if you even just just go Google Doc Ock and hit images, you're like, damn, is that Alfred Molina? I don't know. It just they they did a lot of things that make sense. I mean, it was comic book accurate in Spider Man Two, uh, where you know Peter is is kind of being mentored by him um, a little bit, and it it's just a different dynamic in really all of 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 um, in comics. Where your your teacher becomes your your greatest villain, you know, uh, it's 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 always been an interesting story um, to follow, and, and it like you said, it's one of the the we see some of the greatest fight sequences in in Spider Man Two that we've ever seen um, in in any still any superhero movie ever, uh, and it's like it's like they just learned if there was a flaw in Spider Man One. It was just, you know, that they did what they had to do with the, the practical effects and, and things like that. And it's still, don't get me wrong, it still looked good. But Spider-Man 2, they were like, okay, we know what we're doing, like, for real, for real now. Let's just, you know, up it up a notch. And I think that's why a lot of the things in Spider-Man 2 look so good um, that has to deal with Doc Ock and his character. But he's so legendary, man. He's so scary. He's just scary. Like, I just, sure, you're, you're, you're going to be scared of Green Goblin. Of course. You're going to be scared of... 
I don't know, if you see Sandman coming your way, you're going to be like, what the hell is that? You know, but you see this dude with like four metal tentacles on his back running through the city. And it's just a different, I think, type of fear um, that gets put in your heart. So, yeah, man, this is this. It's a legend. He's a legend. There's a reason they keep showing him um, and all the no way home. Everything is because he's that important. Um, And we're not just pulling this out of thin air. It's like, nope, Doc Ock is here and he's one of the greatest to do it. Um, so yeah, man, that's why he's on my second spot. Absolutely. Number one, Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, uh, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. I, I mean, I don't have much to say because listen, he's just great. He's, <laughs> he's great. just great. Uh, Willem Dafoe was so good at the role. He just transcends everything about him. Uh, the suit did not hold him back. The suits received a lot of criticism, um, more so in hindsight than I think at the time that it came out. But he's just so good at the role that you forgive all of that if you have a problem with it. And Willem Dafoe is obviously the perfect person to play these really weird, eccentric, offbeat roles. So when he got announced as Green Goblin, it was like, oh, that makes 100% sense. And he was, you know, very popular at the time. He was, like, fresh off of Amer- American Psycho. So coming in to see Willem Dafoe, just, like, tear that movie up in all respects and just own it. Like, mm-hmm. just completely own the goofiness, the the ridiculous nature of it. By the time that he became Green Goblin was great. But then before that, he's just, like, a businessman. He's an ambitious businessman who gets outed from his own company. So he has real personal motivation there. And even after the death of that character in the first Spider-Man, you still feel his presence in the subsequent two films. Mm-hmm. You still see um, Willem Dafoe pop up in small cameo roles to speak to Harry Osborn. So his his presence is felt in that entire trilogy, and he's just so important to the story that they told. So easily number one for me. Of course, man. Um, I sit here right here with you, of course. And it after just re-watching it, I just love how comic booky that Willem Dafoe actually went with this entire portrayal. Just, I mean, I was laughing as much as I was enjoying how how violent um, he was. I, I tweeted this out earlier, but one of the things I love most about the Sam Raimi movies is they was really awful niggas. Like, oh, 100%. like, like in Homecoming, people don't really die like that. Or in like, even Amazing Spider-Man, people, of course they die. But like Sam Raimi was off in niggas, bro. Like uh, Green Goblin comes through, throws a pumpkin and like kills like six executives. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn, like, yeah, that's just it. easily. Yeah, just easily. And, and, and that's it. And it, 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 I love the the it's 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 almost all in as much as i as we talk about how um how even more comic book we're getting in today's mcu material that that portrayal of goblin would have fit to me he would have fit because he was doing it bro the jokes were there he was smacking spider-man across the head he was i mean so one of my favorite things in spider-man ever it will always be when they're in that building and he's trying to save the old lady <laughs> from the fire. Well the, yeah, you might as well throw that clip in. I gotta so throw people the clip. know what you're talking about. I oh gotta my throw God. the clip. Where are you? From the fire, and he turns around and he just screams. (laughs) 
and it's the most ridiculous scream ever like i don't even know where he got the sound bit from it's like where the <laughs> hell did that come from like who did that where did that sound bit come from it just makes me die laughing every time man um but also even beyond that this is this is the first spider-man villain that i get as a young you know nerdy kid what am i like eight years old or something when this movie comes out and my mom takes me to go see it and and it's it's really uh uh the first again the first depiction of a of a of a villain in live action that you like learn to not like you're like damn this is a real villain i don't like this dude um and it's just really early um that we get that so yeah man he he's legendary just legendary Willem Dafoe absolutely killed it the the character will always be legendary. I love the Green Goblin design. Me I too. really I think it's Still great. Do. Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, I, I I read it took them like thirty minutes to put it on every time. You know, like that's a lot of that's a long time to put something on. Thirty minutes. Yeah, it it was made by like I think it was long. I I, I feel like he said hours because it's it's like individual pieces that have to get glued on. It's mm-hmm. not like it's not like he just steps into it like they had to yeah. glue, like glue on each individual piece because that's how it's made i'm, I'm like yeah it, crazy it, it, technology's advanced a lot so things have changed but back then like they did what they had to do to get it mm-hmm. on them so it was crazy exactly man but that 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 comedy combined with the violence combined with just comic booky green goblin stuff he, he's he's he still he still reigns at the top of of the list for me man yeah there was a true sense of danger in those raimi movies that yes we haven't really i mean we got a little bit like what we just talked about with vulture there was like mm-hmm. a sense of danger there but like yeah that maturity and the the fact that you know like they're killing people like they will kill you if they have to like mm-hmm. the, we we haven't gotten that so much lately uh and, and i'd i'd you know be i'd be remiss not to mention the voice of willem dafoe and how iconic that is and like mm-hmm. what he did to distort his voice misery 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 yes that's what you've chosen like he just so good he nails it completely i'm just like yeah this guy and again another villain coming back as spider-man no way home who is probably going to be more important than people realize that's all mm-hmm. i'll say uh that's all i'll say about that mm-hmm. movie probably going to be more important than people think but all good there those are our rankings for all of spider-man's villains from the movies definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it do you agree with us did we miss anybody where would you rank these people we'll also put a graphic out on social media so people can really look and see where we got these villains falling into and of course we'll be reviewing spider-man no way home which is chocked full of villains next week can't wait for that let's go ahead and quickly move on to the news of the week these last few items that we got before we wrap up uh first up sticking with marvel news we just found out Mm -hmm. from the rumor mill that Letitia Wright maybe does not want to return to the production of Black Panther Wakanda Forever because apparently she's unwilling to get the vaccine. Um, this is according to Giant Freaking Robot, which is an online news source. The Hollywood Reporter, however, um, sort of refuted that article and said the production is still on track to resume in January in Atlanta with Wright attached to it. Um, they, they've actually been on pause currently because Letitia Wright sustained an injury on set and to give her time to nurse and heal from those injuries they allowed everybody to essentially go home for the holidays and so Letitia Wright is back in the UK um, everybody is not in Atlanta right now working on the movie and um, reports have also stated that they filmed everything that they could without her character so mm-hmm. they're just waiting on her to get physically better and then apparently in January they'll resume production um, but the rumors are saying that she may not return to the film so I, I would just say take this with a 
huge, huge grain of salt. This is not confirmed. It's not confirmed mm-hmm. that she's not going to be in the movie. It's not confirmed that she's going to get recast. But this is something that's floating out there. So I thought it was worth talking about. Um, any thoughts on this so far? Man, I mean, if it is true, buy Letitia. Like, she, I mean, <laughs> it's... What's the point? Like, why are we here? <laughs> I, I, she's not she's not important enough for for her to be you know holding up all these anything just because she won't take the vaccine. Man, it's just it's getting ridiculous at this point. I think you know if you want to recast her, do it. I think we are, we're all not necessarily over it, but we're all like leaning into like if y'all really need to cast, recast the Shala, we're over here like you can do that too. <laughs> like we just want. We're just tired of hearing about this BS with this woman, I think. And whatever it takes for that to stop, I think we're all good with. If she resumes, whatever she resumes. If she doesn't, bye. Like, it just let's just move on. I think we're 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 sick of her. I just hate that this movie's going through so much, man. Like, obviously, the death of Chadwick is is, is extremely tragic, and, and 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 him making a movie is the last of anybody's concern. Like, that man's mm-hmm. life was lost, but obviously he was t'challa he was so important and they you know they've already mm-hmm. doubled down on the fact that they are not planning to recast t'challa right. um in this current iteration of the mcu and then you get this Letitia wright news who by all accounts and purposes is positioned to be the next black panther from what mm-hmm. we're reading and what we're hearing um marvel is setting her character up to get a big big run in these films and be a major character which is very much pulling from the comic book accuracy of that and what they've done with that character Shuri in the comics and mm-hmm. her assuming that mantle and Letitia Wright. I mean, a lot of stuff has come out about her views and her standpoint on the vaccine. You know, so be it. Uh, if it comes down to needing a new person, then I, I'm here for it. Just mm-hmm. do it. Uh, it's we we can move on. We have before. We will again. Like people get recast and stuff all the time if this is what it ends up coming mm-hmm. to. I feel like they're going to figure something out. I feel like that they're going to make something happen. Um, it's just a, it's weird because we don't really know. Because like, if you're not a U.S. citizen, you can't technically come to the country without the vaccine. But they do have like special exceptions. I don't know if this would fall into that or not. I'm not really sure. Obviously, we're not in the in the weeds of the details of it all. But ultimately, for the sake of the film, because they are making it, we do know that as a fact. It is coming out at some point. If it comes to just like we need to continue on full steam ahead and that means recasting her then yeah so be it i'm i'm, I'm with that decision so i'm sure we'll find out really shortly here because january will be here before we know it mm-hmm. um another mcu mcu news we just found out that modok will be making his live action debut in ant-man and the wasp quantumania apparently in a major role and the rumor says that Corey stoll who portrayed yellow jacket in the original ant-man is going to be playing the character which is very different from the actual Modoc character in the comics. This mm-hmm. is uh, this is this is changing the origin of that particular character to begin with. Um, I mean, what do you make of well, one Modoc period being in this movie, and then two Corey Stoll, who was formerly Yellowjacket, possibly taking up this 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 role. To be honest, I was hoping they'd save Modoc for a uh, a more um, not street level, but somebody's like origin. Like, I was hoping, like, I don't know, like a Kate Bishop movie comes out and Modoc is the villain, you know? I don't know. I expected yeah. something more like that, not a not an Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania kind of, kind of villain in my head. I could see why, because the quantum anything uh, uh, has to do with so much um, um, just, just higher concepts that a character and villain like Modoc would relate to and could, uh, again, manipulate or, you know what I mean, w- would understand and explain, I guess, in that world why he'd fit. 
but I, I I I wasn't looking for him in this movie. So this is uh, just definitely a, a huge surprise here, and also changing changing Yellow Jacket into Moda. I'm not sure about that decision either. It's just uh, I don't know if it's like a they didn't want to they didn't want to do the the the, the groundwork to make Moda build Moda up ground up, or right. they. They, I don't know. They wanted Corey Stoll to be Modoc so bad. They were like, "No, nah, we're just turning Yellow Jacket into him." Um, especially because Yellow Jacket is known not to be a genius as much as Modoc is. Right, so I'm like, right. it's just all very confusing. And I, I'm hoping something about this is just we just didn't hear right, or we just don't know right, or you know, like maybe they're both in the movie and we got our wires crossed or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, man, what do you think? Yeah, you know, Modoc, I think. I'm I'm excited that the character is coming because it's mm-hmm. such a weird comic character, of course. But the, yeah, the you just wouldn't expect it to be in addition to an Ant Man movie where we already know that Kang is going to be a major mm-hmm. player in that film. Um, the 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 most well known Modok is George Tarleton, uh, and so yeah, they're not apparently not introducing him in this movie. It's just going to be Yellow Jacket, which is uh, yeah, I don't I don't know, I don't I don't know what to make of it. I mean, perhaps it's a Perhaps it's a variant, you know, I think we can't mm. necessarily throw that out the window just because mm-hmm, we know that mm-hmm. this is like multiverse, yeah. quantum mania shit going on. It's just a lot of weird stuff that's just like it could be anything almost at this point. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's just like something we're going to have to see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably most concerned, though, with the character design that it's going to be. I feel like that's going to be a little tricky because Modoc is obnoxious looking almost <laughs> like by the design like mm. it's just such a it's such a strange bizarre look and so to capture that in live action um i'm just i'm i'm interested to see how they pull that off modok was also the villain in the, in the marvel avengers game and the design of that character was actually pretty cool it the, was the good. game didn't work on all all levels but the, yeah the design was pretty cool so maybe if they lean into that and take some inspiration mm-hmm. from there it might it might work out but i guess we'll just have we'll just have to see it's just it's just gonna be one of those things we wait and see um over on the dc side of things we just found out before the recording of the show cw's greenlit another dc tv series this time it'll be gotham knights and the team behind batwoman is actually developing this new gotham Knights show just for clarification this is not going to be a spinoff of batwoman nor is this show tied to the upcoming gotham knights video game that we've also talked about on the show um but apparently it's going to be you know similar to what gotham knights represents it's going to be in the wake of bruce wayne bruce wayne's murder Mm -hmm. um and his adopted son is going to form an alliance with other um, children of Batman's enemies who were framed for killing Batman himself. And so um, this band of misfits misfits must fight to clear their names. Um, and there's no Dark Knight to protect the city of Gotham. So they have to band together and assume these different mantles and become like this next generation yeah. of saviors for Gotham known as the Gotham Knights. So, um, yeah, CW pumping out another show here. Um, listen, I, I, I still got to catch up with Superman All and Lois and the final season <laughs> of Black Lightning and mm-hmm. the past six seasons of that like i'm just yeah star girl i just you know there's just so much Mm -hmm. will i watch this probably not i mean it's just so much i just Mm -hmm. can't keep up with it i mean unless unless i see a trailer and it blows me away because you know love batman stuff love all batman media but i don't know man they just got so much on their plate now uh cw is just dc Mm -hmm. um network at this point for 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 young adults like why YDC type of content so i mean i guess you know another thing to mind but it it, it doesn't sound like it's going to be connected to anything that they're doing either so that just has me curious as to like okay well what what is it it's just like a standalone spinoff just like a, a one-off sort of thing 
And then they have the HBO Max series that are coming, mm-hmm. like Peacemaker's coming out, and they're doing all the stuff from the Batman movie, like the Penguin and the, and the GCPD show that are unrelated. It's just a lot going on. Yeah, I just, just why? There's just too much. There's just simply too much. It's 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 one thing if it's maybe connected to the things that you're doing on HBO, but it's not. You already have a whole Dick Grayson and Titans. You already have a Barbara Gordon on the way. You yep. already, you know what I mean? Like, it's own thing. I just don't, it's just not adding up to what exactly I don't think you th- you think it is. Um, especially Gotham Knights is not a CW show to me. Just like, well, initially we didn't think Arrow was either. But like, Arrow's like really dark, you know what True. I mean? But uh, but now I think there's just such a new space on HBO where, where Doom Patrol can exist, where Titans can exist. Why not throw Gotham Knights there and and copy and paste the same dick grayson make it interesting because people watch titans no matter how good people think it is people watch the show and it's 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 an okay show so just i don't know what are we doing here is the question that's why i just kind of want to walk in there and be like so what are we doing so we're just gonna have 50 dick graysons across eight different universes and three barbara gordons and five tim drakes and yeah uh we already have a jason todd and titans too what are we doing what are we doing what, what exactly are we doing? I just I I just can't I cannot fathom <laughs> what's going on here. I can't put it together in my head. It's it's too much. Will I check out an episode? Probably just because Gotham Knights is so different and it always has been one of those things that is fresh. It's newer and we haven't seen like Red Hood in live action yet. Like that just had this is not a thing we've seen yet. Um, but whatever. Well, what whatever, bro. I bet you he won't be in season one because that's the type of shit they would do. He'd come in like season three. And by mm-hmm. season three, it's going to be like 12 Gotham Knights. They're just going to pull every character <laughs> that they can. It's gonna just, have Signal just, in that bitch. And it's just that wing. It's too yeah. much. Ah, there's just too much going on. Um, in other news, Amanda, Amanda Stan, uh, Stenberg is in talks to join the upcoming live action Star Wars series for Disney Plus, The Acolyte. We first heard about The Acolyte back in 2020, um, about a year ago at Disney Investor Day. Um, this is a show also set in the High Republic area, and Amanda Stenberg, we don't know who her character's going to be, but she's apparently going to be playing the lead for this series. Um, she's coming fresh off of Dear Evan Hansen, which came out earlier this year. Again, not a movie that too many people liked, but uh, she'll probably have a chance to rebound here with, obviously, Star Wars, still a very well-known, very popular property. Um, but that's really all we know. But, you know, she's going to be a lead and young black actress, so that's cool to see, like, they're putting somebody at the forefront of a Star Wars show like that. Um, but there's just still so much that we don't know about the Acolyte, mm-hmm. so I think we have to, you know, sort of wait and see. Like, we know some of the stuff that they pull from, like, other inspirational, um, other inspirations uh, across the universe, but I think, like, the actual story for what the series is going to be, we still have to figure out what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Amanda Stenberg is still one of those actresses right there with Alex Ship with one of the one of the worst agents out there. Um, it's something about these light-skinned girls cannot get an agent. They suck. Uh, <laughs> because they just, I mean, Amanda Stenberg, as talented as she, she is, she's been in, like, two good movies. The first Hunger Games and, like, The Hate You Give. Other than that, it's all been pretty trash. I remember they tried, a couple years ago, they came out with that uh, Where Hands Touch movie, which is, I like, clearly we need to find a light-skinned black girl to like this white guy on, on the big screen. Not good, bro. It's just, why are we here? What What's going on there? Um, Dear Evan Hansen didn't do good. I remember I seen the movie The Darkest Minds in theater. It's not good. <laughs> um, I, I just, I'm, I, maybe this is the beginning. 
right? Need like, to win. Yeah. This sounds like a win for her. The hate you give was the last win she had. It's three years ago. Maybe the acolyte is is her saving grace because one, it's already a trusted property. We know Star Wars, man. We've been pretty, we've been pretty spoiled with with Star Wars here recently, um, and they've been doing a good job. So hopefully the acolyte comes through and gives Amanda Stenberg her win. But yeah, it it like damn, help this girl out. But um, I'm still excited. I'm excited for anything Star Wars. I have to see it before I hate it <laughs> when it comes to Star Wars for sure. Um, so hopefully the acolyte is good, man. We'll see more. Certainly hope so. And our last news item for this week, we just got the first trailer for Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore that just dropped. And um, the Fantastic Beasts movies, for me, have not worked. I just don't. I'm just not in on it. Uh, the first movie's like, okay, it's fine. The second movie, just a pretty abysmal train wreck in my mind. And so mm-hmm. they're coming out with this third movie. We all know that Mads Mikkelsen has replaced Johnny Depp as Grindelwald in this new movie, which I am excited about that aspect of it, mm-hmm. um, just because I think Mads Mikkelsen is certainly a better actor than Johnny Depp. Um, but yeah, I just haven't bought in. And this trailer, man, it just didn't even do it for me. I looked at the trailer and was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It mm-hmm. still looks kind of boring. Um, and that was kind of <laughs> my biggest gripe with the last one with uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald. The movie was boring. It was just flat out boring. It was too long. It didn't do anything significant to move the plot forward because this is like a five film mm-hmm. series and this movie i'm just like i don't know maybe it'll be better who knows i you know i'll check it out for the sake of seeing it i guess just to be up with it but i mm-hmm. i don't know man this series i don't think they're going to cancel it though i know a lot of people think that they're going to cancel it i don't think that's going to happen i feel like all these companies are making shit just for the sake of making it to say that yeah. they have it and they're just throwing everything in the bucket of content whatever the fuck that means so they're going to keep making them to to, mm-hmm. to to continue to pull from the IP of Harry Potter and the Wizarding World. That's valuable. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. if it doesn't make all that much money, like it's not going to make a billion dollars, but it's still going to add to the lore and the mythology of Harry Potter. And I think for them as a corporate entity, that's fine. It's mm-hmm. it's a very pessimistic outlook at something that's supposed to be creative. But I think I think that's just where we are with these movies at this point, unfortunately. I'm not looking forward to it. I'll see it, but I don't have high expectations. Yeah, that first Fantastic Beast also probably did almost make close to a mil, which is why they were just like, oh, okay, maybe we can do Crimes of Grindelwald. I still have not seen that movie. I will watch it at some point, just in the spirit of me being a Harry Potter fan. I'm going to watch it. I don't I know it's bad, if it's bad, whatever. I have, I have to make myself suffer. Um, I actually like the first Fantastic Beast. I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I like it. It's cool. It's fine. I like seeing like the little monsters they come up with you know the actual beast they come up with that's that's really what the reason i'd be watching it i'm like oh i wonder what this little creature does um maybe it's because i like pokemon i don't know why i like seeing these little things <laughs> uh but that's what i'm there for but uh i guess like again from hearing how bad crimes of grindelwald was i i don't know how often we've seen where the first movie's okay the second movie's bad and the third movie's okay again it happens every now and then but like does it happen enough too often yeah <laughs> does it happen enough uh, what I will say is, I guess if if it can be done, it's usually bigger studios and properties. Like, I guess Harry Potter would be the one to do it. I guess Marvel would be the one. You know what I mean? Like, I guess these people would be the ones to do it. So we'll see what happens when it comes out. Uh, like you said, Mads Mikkelsen being anything makes me excited. I'm like, oh shoot, Mads Mikkelsen's in it. I have to go watch it. Um, but yeah, man, I I from the outside looking in, from somebody who hasn't seen Crimes of Grindelwald, I don't understand too much why it's happening, but they, I, they they keep making money, I guess. 
So here we are in kind of I don't know if suffering is the word, <laughs> but we're we're like we're sitting through it. We're we're it's getting close it. to suffering. I, I can <laughs> I can tell you, Crimes of Grindelwald is is a is a mm, pretty miserable experience. So if that's if this movie's anything like that, I oh god, I just I shut up the thing. But uh, we'll see. Movie comes out April fifteenth, twenty twenty two. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are done for this week. We're officially down and out. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Two Black Nerds. We will, of course, be back next week yeah. with a two-part season finale. Next week, we will be doing our spoiler-filled review of Spider-Man No Way Home. That movie is finally here. After all the anticipation, after all the rumors, after all the leaks, we finally get a chance to check out that movie later this week, so we will be back next week to review that exclusively. That's going to be the whole episode next Tuesday episode spider-man no way home be on the lookout for that if you're keeping up with hawkeye we're reviewing that each and every week we'll be back this thursday with our episode five review and then the season finale for season five of two black nerds will be of course the review of episode six of hawkeye coming out next thursday right before christmas and then we're gonna go on a little bit of a break y'all you know christmas is coming up spend a little bit of time with family friends loved ones all that and we'll be back sometime in January. We're going to catch up on some movies, catch up on some other things, but we're going to take a little break after uh, next week. So definitely just be on the lookout for those two episodes. Spider-Man No Way Home coming on Tuesday. Hawkeye season finale coming on Thursday. And then after that, we'll be back in January. Man, it's a big week for Marvel, y'all. We might see Vincent D'Onfrio on Wednesday and then see Charlie Cox on Thursday. And it's just a lot going on, man. Uh, it, it, it's a good time to be a comic book fan, television fan, movie fan, all of it, y'all. Um, happy Spider-Man week. Please, please, if you haven't done so, re-watch those movies. I think it's important to go into this movie not lost. <laughs> In case you see something that you didn't know you were going to see. Just go ahead and watch them hoes, because you never know what's going to happen, man. With that being said, y'all, we are Audi 5000. And please remember, always bet on black. I appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds. Where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. Santana